Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Welcome to Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Benno. I'm JP. And I'm Gareth. And hello, Gareth. I'm gonna go straight to it, mate. You're here. Glad, glad to, uh, glad to see you. Uh, seem to be uh, feeling quite well. Uh, I think we had a lot of our listeners who were, uh, who were worried about you last week with your, uh, with your COVID scare in the household. Is uh, Sarah okay? Is everyone all right? I'm acting very concerned because I think people thought I was uh, a bit callous last week. Sorry, comparing you to Trump and uh, and the like. Sorry about that, mate. Uh, I'm glad you're okay. I know. Coming, coming back with your tail between your legs, trying to be <laughs> nice to me this week. Look, I sent you a really nice message when I found out that, that you were uh, you had the symptoms. We had a nice chat, and then I press record and just gave you grief for three hours. And unfortunately, that's what the public here. But it was nice to you. Mate, the, la- the laughing emojis were a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> Unnecessarily cruel. <laughs> uh, that's us. Uh, Everett, no, all right, uh, go, mate. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I actually had a, a test come back positive myself on Tuesday, as expected with Sarah. I haven't tested positive last week, but I'm absolutely uh, fine. Just like, don't even, like, I don't know, don't even feel remotely ill. So, COVID, what COVID? It's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just the uh, self-isolation that's uh, mm-hmm. driving us a bit bonkers now because by the time that this, like, my thing's over, it's going to be like, probably about like two and a half weeks of just stuck in the house with the kids and like Sarah's now her period's over so she can go back to work so it's just kind of like been back on back on the old lockdown again with them too good on the mind because all like obviously all the mates are at school and stuff like that so yeah can't be sitting playing like xbox with everyone so i've just got them neither and me as well as not been able to leave the house so um <laughs> but it could be worse <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I was glad to hear that. Yeah, Sarah sounded like she was. Uh, I knew she was on the mound when she was giving Liverpool grief last weekend for the that uh, that uh, that seven two. Um, but yeah, she seems all right. The, uh, the, the, you haven't uh, converted the kids into wrestling during this uh, this this lockdown period at home now, didn't we? That's not the payoff no, last no, week, unfortunately. After, after, you, after you had that little chat last week, I thought, oh, yeah, I might just uh, might just give it a little go. And then there was a bit of G1 on, and I was like, hey, Alex, come and watch this. And it was a Yano match. I thought I might, like, sucker him in there with something a bit different, a little bit of humour or something like that. But he sort of stared blankly at the screen for about two minutes and then pissed off back upstairs to go and play <laughs> a bit more Red Dead Redemption or something like that. So, hey-ho, we can try again. The, the, white, the right way to react to a B-block match, in my opinion. <laughs> that was it you see it wasn't a block was it i also wanted to say it seemed to be sarah's uptick in health seemed to coincide with that liverpool loss 
didn't it? That, that seems to have been the thing that turned it round in some ways. Yeah, that, that definitely had a uh, positive uh, thing. I mean, we, we don't need to talk about this again. I mean, we talked about it last <laughs> no. Week. no, painful. Like, Sorry, mate. That, 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 one, that one's a distant memory. That one, but um, I don't know. It was the it was the recovery dominoes on the Tuesday night. I think that's that's what happened. I think dominoes worked its magic, and uh, there you go. Before you know it, all was uh, all was good in the uh, in the household. That's it. So yeah, you're gonna. You know, you're obviously you're in good spirits and good health, and yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get escape from your quarantine period just in time to not be able to do fucking anything because Liverpool <laughs> is 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 the worst place in England, I think, right now for COVID. Allegedly, we're tier three, so can't fucking do anything. Um, I actually I wasn't gonna mention it, but I did. I went out. I wasn't one of the knobheads who were out on the news, and we saw a bit of uh, you know people in the streets dancing again, uh, having like COVID lockdown parties. I did go out again. on Saturday. I know, I know, I know. I went out on Saturday, but I, did, I sat outside the pub, followed all the rules. Um, but I think that's going to be the last time for a fucking while because uh, we are well and truly locked down. Uh, I think Manchester's about to join us. Uh, so yeah, you've got to, you've got that to look forward to. We can still go though, can't we? As long as they serve food, I think that's what I. Uh, oh, that's a point. Yeah, that's what yeah. I, was, I was thinking. Where, there's going to be the there's going to be some yeah there's going to be some pile of like local boozers just uh, nipping out to Costco to buy a microwave, and there'll be like <laughs> beans on toast and things like that on the menu and stuff like. So come and uh, come and buy a meal for a quid, so you can still uh, still booze. I'm sure it's going to happen. That's it. Well, like, if if you if they can do anything to keep Boris's uh, mate in business and keep Weatherspoons open, then that seems to be the uh, the plan right now. Uh, are you looking up to the north in uh, in jealousy, JP, or pity, or like, yeah, we've uh, we've kind of jumped ahead it, the queue. It feels like uh, it's usual Tories hating on the north, in particular the northwest, in particularly Liverpool. Mm. I might add, that's always how it comes across to me, because here, I mean. I had a test this weekend, but it just, the fact it was just late, that was it. Mm. And I'm in a university town. So it's like cowboy fucking central going out, like walking back through town. It's, it really is. And I work in education as well. So it's like the whole thing feels like it's kind of fraught with danger. But the issue I had was Martin Bushby, mm. your, your, the host of a, B, a BWE, um, he he was down for the weekend, looking forward to seeing him get a chance to, because I was in all weekend waiting for a fucking test result till Sunday night, by which time I wasn't really able to kind of go out and meet him, because it would have been a 10 o'clock curfew. Oh. So, yeah. So I was like, yeah, just sort of ruined the weekend from a different perspective. But obviously, I'm not like Gareth, I actually has COVID sat there, so it seems a bit churlish. Um <laughs> There's what, several what, other things. What a, ter- what a terrible excuse to make up just not to go meet Martin. No, <laughs> no. There was a photo. He's like, they were out with uh, Joe and, and Lucy and having a few pints. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sakes. I'm sat in here again and it's fucking B block day. Christ. <laughs> and I've got to do my homework at some point. So, like, it's just, you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff. First world problems, admittedly. But yeah, looking up, it just looks worrying. I know this Saturday, was hoping to record uh, a be on graps and claps with Andy and Jeff Ogden and oh, Chris Lane. They'll still come to Oxford. I've got no doubt. <laughs> Unless they shut we, we've got down caref- tonight. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've got a carefully coordinated plan on that one. Um, <laughs> so yeah, fingers crossed that can still go ahead. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just seems like I I don't know. It's 
are you just are you two just expecting to be there for Christmas at this point? Probably, yeah. Like like Gareth said, my issue oh. is like, you know, you, you're also not supposed to meet indoors with anybody you don't live with, and I live on my own, so I'm in a uh, I'm in a bubble with my mum, but I don't think she's gonna fancy going the ship with Mito with me anytime soon. So uh, <laughs> I'm a bit. Uh, <laughs> she might actually you know, could come and have a cherry beer, maybe. Maybe we could do that. Uh, <laughs> what about the three? What about the three bell ends in Wirral? <laughs> I love that you know where that is, though. Yeah, that was the story. Right? It's a great, great you, name for a book. You told us before the show, I asked you directly. <laughs> <laughs> Give away the magic of the podcast here, JP. Oh, exactly. You yeah, do love the world. see how the sausage is, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of it, I might add. Uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a thing. Poor Wirral as well. The Wirral have got, like, barely any cases, and they're just shut down with the rest of us. Um, but, yeah, it's just... The thing with me is just, like, like I say, I, I think it's uh, obviously, like, Cases are rising, and it's clearly you need to do something. And clearly, idiots like me who are planning on going to that TNT show at the end of the month probably need to be saved from themselves. But at the same time, it's like it's quite clear what's happened. Like, have you have you noticed that all of the cities that are getting shut down are all big university towns, and that like the the spiking cases is coming quite soon after the schools and the universities all opened up again. I mean, I'm not blaming your kids, Gareth, but I've got a theory on how uh, how COVID got into your household. Oh, you know, it, uh, well, I'm just like looking like my nephew just started at Liverpool Uni a couple of like a month ago or something like that, and then he was just saying how. Everyone's like testing positive, so they were all fearful of um, like getting locked down where they had to just stay in their halls, you know, and not be able to go out. So they've all just fucked off home, like everyone who says, like his entire hall. So I imagine how many halls in Liverpool are doing that as well. So it's just going to be like, okay, here's a load of positive people who've been concentrated in a small space for a short period of time. Now let's just spread it across the country again, kind of thing. And however many university towns are doing the same as well as that. So um, yeah, I think there's a I think they can try and lock Liverpool down and things all alike, but I think half of the people who've caused the problem have done a runner already. So yeah. it's going to be other other pockets around the country in the next couple of weeks that are going to be feeling the benefit of that one. I think that, yeah, the big problem is people are just not going to... I just don't think people are going to follow it. Like, I'm more at like, the stories and they're like, there's gyms in Liverpool. Like, they're just like, nope, we're going to stay open. Fuck you. <laughs> like, it's very like... Because we've got that attitude of, oh, here we go, it's Thatcher again. Like, we're kind of like, oh, they're trying, to, they're trying to kill the North again. Here come the Tories. Like, because uh, where's this... Derek Hatton when you need him? Well, hey, he's been he's been lively on Twitter. I mean, I think just because there's no logic to it, really, is you're not going to get... People just aren't going to listen. Um, and I'm terrified of what, like, the, the next month or so is going to bring. Like, a national lockdown is probably the way. Two-week two lockdown, like the like the, like the Labour have been putting forward, the circuit breaker thing, but it won't happen because, well, Boris isn't going to want to be seen to listen to, you know, Keir Starmer and listen to Labour, so we're just stuck with this, really, and the North getting the blame, and all you, uh, all you lockdown South, JP, all you, uh, all you posh people uh, get away with it and can... Uh, oh, yeah, this is like. called common sense territory, isn't it? <laughs> it's ironic because I'm in the one Labour constituency in all of... Oxfordshire. Well, you're Obviously, fucked, it's true fucking blue the moment you step outside. A common sense, trust me, the place where I go to work, there is none. Mm. Like, even when I go to fucking co-op. And, yeah, <laughs> there's a part of me, oh, it's horrible, this. It's just, I look through and I go, like, you lot fucking voted for this shower. <laughs> and I think, honestly, since Cummings, the whole thing appeared to unravel, and that's when people's fucking attitudes happen, and nothing was done about that. And now it's got, and, and he got off on a 30 grand fucking tax bill as well, the prick. Like, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I mean, 
this is what happened when you vote the Eaton Honey Monster in as fucking prime minister. <laughs> that's that's where we're at. Oh, Copyright Mark Thomas. Yeah, <laughs> and any any uh, Northern Tories, the other Tories are scared they're going to lose the votes of now for doing all this. Then, well, I feel like they've only only really got themselves to blame, I think, for the, <laughs> the situation we're in. But yep. I was, was going to say, to be honest, it's not all bad. Like we've, uh, you know, well, well, I can't go the can't go go out or like we can't go to the gyms or like loads of places are shutting down. Batman's just knocking around Liverpool. Like we're we're just carrying on with like the Batman is literally it's got that bad, is it now? He's come to save us all, or like make sure we stay in our houses. Literally, as we got moved into tier three this week, they've started filming Batman around Liverpool city centre. And like, to, like yeah, the day before yesterday, I, I I saw like a thing on Facebook that they were filming a scene, and you'd love this JP. Literally down the road from my house in like shitty old Walton on fucking Sherry Lane. I walk down, it's like a five-minute walk from my house, and there they are just filming a stunt scene for Batman, like, going into Anfield Cemetery. Like, so fucking weird. Like, apparently that's is okay, it, though. Is, is this where Batman's taking his uh, Batmobile into cash converters or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> it's fallen on hard times. <laughs> I think that's what's happening. Like, honestly. But I, like, I went out and it's like, there's just all these kids and like parents and stuff all gathering around, like no, no distance whatsoever, all to get a sight of Batman. I, I did see them. They did like a like a little like a stunt thing where he was getting the the man in the Batman suit who uh, wasn't Robert Robert Pattinson. It was a stunt double. Uh, Rob Pattinson was in the city centre though, uh, but like him and like someone chasing him and the fella fell off his motorbike. So the kids were all uh, entertained by that. I heard some little kid shout, Hey, Dad, where's Spider-Man? If Batman's here, why is Spider-Man not here? I was like, that's good logic. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, I think ba- somebody call- I heard somebody call Batman a goth, which is probably about right. <laughs> um, it was a lot. Of- it was just so weird that, like, just in the it end. It sounds the like laid. Liverpool. It sounds like how I imagine like- Liverpudlians would react to Batman being filmed there. I saw Colin Farrell was there, but and he's meant to be the Penguin, but he looks more like George Graham. <laughs> than anyone else. <laughs> well, yeah, look, if they're going to do some sort of documentary, like sort of like I don't know, a, a reenactment like Fever Pitch about mm. like winning the league in '89, then going to Anfield to film that and Colin Farrell as George Graham, I'm fair game. <laughs> Fit that in while they're there. Oh, Sorry, Gareth. Yeah, we're not thinking about that one either. <laughs> <laughs> Different reactions that day. I'm assuming you were very upset that night. <laughs> I think that, to be honest, I think that was the day I became a Liverpool fan. That game, I think that was what tipped me. That was I. Wow. I, I wasn't um, wasn't a fan of anyone particularly, but I think uh, I think that game was the thing that tipped me over. Tipped me over the edge. Uh, nothing like jumping on board a uh, glory train just as the uh, <laughs> just as the train comes off the tracks for thirty years. Isn't it? Yeah, same story as the Minnesota Vikings then, yeah? I <laughs> know, oh, they've never had any glory. <laughs> oh, Everton, mate. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Fleeting. <laughs> when you said Colin then as well, I thought you were going to say Colin Rice. Because, uh, <laughs> by the way, Colin, Colin, who we mentioned a few times in this podcast, who's, uh, he'd say he's grappled Colin, but uh, Gareth's never signed off on that. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, def- he's definitely at not grapple Colin. <laughs> he was, uh, he does extras work and does acting, and like he's the biggest Batman fan in the world. And um, when they were initially announced they were filming the Batman in Liverpool, he got cast as an extra, and he's going to be a Gotham City police officer as well as like being extra in a party or something. And because of COVID, they shut down and they opened up again. And rather than use the extras they have from Liverpool, they've just bust them all up from London, which seems safe in a pandemic. So he's not part of the production. He's gutted. Because um, they've turned, like, literally... the the, the um, 
oh what's it called like in Liverpool, in like the center like opposite lime street station they've just turned like the entire area into like gotham like there's gotham police cars out there there's like the film and loads of scenes out there robert pattinson and i just can't help but look at it just thinking oh poor carl he could have been part of this and he's not but still mad though it's oh. fucking liverpool city center and it's gotham now is it, it could, cool it could like... have been, it, oh sorry i was gonna say he could have been a cop and good at his job sorry that's a joke for one but colin would appreciate that <laughs> Is it also as well? Are they leaving all that? St- is they going to be around on like Saturday? They're not. Have they cleared off? They're still there, now. That's going to be lively on Saturday night, isn't it? <laughs> After the derby, <laughs> like yeah. people just like basically calling out Batman all over the place, aren't they? It's it's <laughs> film that if anything. Like those previous couple of films have been a bit scary. I'm talking about the films I've been doing in Liverpool city centre and stuff. But mm. like fucking hell. Like, get on board, uh, just, I don't know what I'm on about now. Yeah, nick a couple of those cars. It'd just be like Fathers for Justice again. Can you remember? That was like Benno when I thought, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the superheroes dressed up in town. F- fathers for Justice <laughs> on, like, an enormous budget. Like, somebody just gave them six million. They went, we're just going to recreate Gotham. There was, there was a scene today they were shooting where, like, Batman was at the top of, like, um, the Liver building. I'm pretty sure, like, that... that... Yeah. I think it was Batman anyway, if it wasn't one of the fathers for justice. Um, Was he shouting a once a month just clearly isn't enough for me to build any kind of meaningful relationship with my child? Maybe. Uh, Even though they may well have been absent for a while and it always seems to be giant fucking red flags all over (laughs) any one of those blokes who's climbed up. You're like, they've done something bad. We'll find out soon enough. Well, apparently... Oh, look, they're in the NF. Apparently Speedo Mick was out there watching it all, if anyone's not seen him, the, the fella in the Speedos who goes to all the Everton games and does like charity walks and stuff. <laughs> like if anyone's suspect, it's that man, I've got to be honest. Speedo Mick. <laughs> yeah, just knock the ass off when you're <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like the old Austin quote, just add an S and you get what I think about Bre- uh, Hitman Brehart. <laughs> Do you think he got cast, or Purple for that matter, while we're on? Oh, like that's what we need. We... <laughs> <laughs> get Perpalaki in there, get Omar in there, get, all, get, get Tin Head a roll. There's, uh, there's money in that. This yeah. sounds like a round table. <laughs> Sin, Sinbad. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> I hope they've got some work. I'm hoping some of the car, I'm hoping Barry Grant's at least got some sort of extra part or something like that. Seems fair, to be honest. Look, if Cole can't get a roll, I feel like I feel like Barry Grant uh, at least deserves one. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mick, jo- Mick Johnson. The yeah. might have, you know, Pattinson might have gone a big full Monty fan. <laughs> Get him in. I can see. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I say, other than that, yeah, that's that's the only thing going on in Liverpool right now while we're all shut down for COVID. The Batman's just flying around. So yeah, I, I did a tweet about it the other day. Did more numbers than any tweet I've ever done about wrestling. So you know, I know that's where the the future is now on Twitter. Batman tweets. Uh, I'll just go around the city trying to uh, trying to spot him in places. That's uh, that's what gets you the real numbers these days. Do, do a thread of Batman characters as Japanese wrestlers from the 90s. There you go. Really. <laughs> like, commission, the Riddler is, I don't know, Shinya Hashimoto or something like that. <laughs> I'm out an analogy. <laughs> I can't be bothered, man. <laughs> we'll be fine. <laughs> we probably should be, because we've got a fucking shitload to talk about as well. Uh, God, if we thought uh, G1 season was was, uh, was keeping us busy, like the GCW decided to run the collective weekend this weekend as well. Uh, brave one outside the WrestleMania weekend and also, again, right in the middle of G1, right in the middle of a pandemic. 
like as at time of recording, I think the story is coming out of uh, is it Dan the dad apparently tested positive for COVID. Um, so yeah, <laughs> similar situation to uh, to Gareth there, except Gareth wasn't all around hundreds of wrestlers and hundreds of fans and twenty odd shows in the same venue over a weekend. Yeah, that's a that's a story to watch, isn't it? If uh, if anything actually comes of that, but uh, as a weekend, it was good. I enjoyed the shows. I mean, yeah. <laughs> did you guys? I mean, did what did you guys watch any of it? Like, I I struggled to be honest. Like normally, JP, we'd be well mm. up for it, wouldn't we? Like Mania weekend doing daily podcasts about like the collective and the other stuff going on it being this mad weekend in the the middle of october kind of killed the idea of that i've got to be honest i only kept like half an eye at myself but the the bits i did see i, I did enjoy i just hope that yeah you know the uh, my conscience remains clean and uh, we don't get more of these stories coming out over the next few days yeah it doesn't seem like any kind of a good idea to mm. do this like just that many shows over that space of time mm. You don't know how many fans there are, although it never seemed like more than a couple of hundred in the building at any one time. And these were shows that I think pretty much from the beginning, it was like, we'll pick and choose bits of it. And again, looking at grapple ratings and seeing what's coming in and then going, okay, that seems worthwhile. And then putting it on the watch list. And so the stuff I've seen on it has kind of really, the theme is Lee Moriarty from, for, for some bits of it, but also like, I don't know, some of the kind of the more nostalgic elements. It's it's hard, though, and this is partly because it's the venue and there is, like, didn't feel like much difference between some of the shows that I saw. Yeah. Like, if you didn't know the name of the show, there was a lot of them that would kind of overlap into each other. Um, and But generally, overall, as a kind of showcase of some of the kind of hottest independent wrestlers out there, at the moment, you kind of got a good idea of where of where that is and there were some people who had kind of like good weekends it doesn't feel like this is going to happen really anytime soon it, it you know in terms of one another one of these types of events again mm. so what i've seen of it i've enjoyed there's other stuff i need to go back and see there's stuff like the clusterfuck where i looked and went no i don't think i can face it yeah an hour and a half clusterfuck like I, wrestlemania Sick. weekend you can tell me, me on it like i watched it and i regretted it and that was saturday night after i've been the pub as well um it was a mistake <laughs> it was just like what that, happened in it i've no idea i watched it and i couldn't tell you either mate um you know, just <laughs> like, yeah i mean i feel like i the, i love the invisible man wrestlemania weekend last year you know the those kind of spots and, you know, doing the comedy stuff and bringing back, like, you know, old indie legends and stuff is is good WrestleMania weekend. But, yeah, I, I, I did, was anyone asking for a five-hour Joey Janela spring break on Saturday night? Um, not not to say it was all bad. Like, the undercard was good as well. But, like, yeah, that was a, that was a struggle. I just think, yeah, without the magic of WrestleMania weekend, you're kind of like, it's just a random indie show with five hours worth of wrestling and an hour and a half literal clusterfuck going on in the ring it's just yeah and that is one that i'm absolutely not recommending people go out and watch did you see any of that Garrett? did you watch any of the uh janela stuff or did the uh, the grapple rating scare you off no i mean with without what i watched a couple on that that show i think i'm same as jp really there was no way i was gonna have the time to sit and watch everything over the course of the weekend there so i definitely just relied on the app just to pick and choose and pick a few uh pick a few matches that look like they had better ratings or if there was you know there was somebody in there that was of particular interest to me be it some like nostalgia thing or some 
newish wrestler or something like that it was it was worth watching but i mean the idea for me of looking at that venue looking at that screen for sort of 20 hours or something like that over the course of a weekend i just can't even think of anything more bleak to be honest it just you know just basic but just basically staring at that sparsely populated gray wall for the eight or nine matches that i watched was was probably great and enough kind of thing really but like god the idea of you know, when I looked at that spring break show as a whole, and I think it was like four hours, 45 minutes or something like that, I was thinking, in what world am I going to like just dedicate like half a day to just sit and uh, watch all this? Like it just, uh, it just, it just ain't happening. But, you know, across the, across the piece, there was some stuff that I, I watched that I did enjoy. There was some stuff that, um, I don't know, I was a bit underwhelmed with and things like that. And there's, you know, a few things as JP's done there where I thought, yeah, I'll go back and check out more of that guy's work, particularly like Lee Boriati, um, based on the, uh, based on the one match I saw of his, but, but all in all, you know, I think what I did watch was, was worth watching. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Like I picked and choose and usually I'm the person who try and watch everything. I know, you know, Ian Hamilton watched a, a fair chunk of it. I know Ben Corrigan was literally live tweeting the whole weekend like it was WrestleMania weekend. I was impressed with that. But yeah, I was I was off the pace myself this week. But like from from what I watched, I did enjoy, same as you. Like I I really like the the one one of the few shows I managed to watch live apart from like the Janella show I did watch Bloodsport on Sunday night which I had a great time watching um it, it didn't seem right it being like the last show on a, on a, on the weekend and kind of getting that that old like WrestleMania one in the morning kind of slot on Sunday night but uh, I still really enjoy it. the Bloodsport shows that are hit and miss I don't think they're not they're not going to be for everyone you know the style can be not the most entertaining if you've got like the wrong two that two guys in the ring but i had a great time watching it live uh, along with like the, the rest of the timeline we were watching at the time i wouldn't go out and recommend most of the matches uh again uh, there was a lot of a lot of it again that's just the theme of the weekend i mean the show was short but some of the matches went a little bit long for like the style like you kind of want when you've got like a, a calvin tankman in there with alexander james you just want calvin tankman to knock him out in like 30 seconds you don't need them to go like eight minutes or whatever they went with alexander james trying to get like really boring offense in um that's what i want out of a blood sports show and what i loved about it like there were two matches i loved on it there was the uh there was the main event obviously of uh of moxley and chris dickinson uh and then there was the match that i was mostly watching it for tom Lawler and homicide just because just for the fact that it was tom Lawler versus homicide and i absolutely loved that like that was i had a lot of fun watching that as like a as like a big homicide guy mm. like he's like for me like there's no like bigger like indie legend than homicide and getting to see him go in there and like for me you can get two jujitsu dudes like rolling around and doing like a a fake mma fight and that's good for some people with this style but for me getting a homicide in there like basically playing like the nick gage role and basically looking completely lost in the match and like just like kind of at one point like trying to wrestle with tom Lawler on the forehead looking really messy and terrible and just decide to get up and just stomp him in the head like that was kind of just homicide's idea he tried to hit a cop killer at one point like that's the kind of like match that homicide was working in there with tom Lawler. but i don't know it probably wasn't a very good technical match um i looked on grapple and it's like it's near and four stars and right now went 3.75 on it just because i had so much fun watching it but like i wouldn't say it was a good technical match it was just a fun spectacle and that's what i want out of these shows i want like ufc one with like two completely different styles going up against each other and like a tom lawler going in there with like homicide and and it being like they've just never met before they shouldn't be in the ring together and then just whatever fucking shit comes of it 
is what it is. Um, yeah, and I, I had a great time watching that one. I don't know if do you watch that one live, JP. I was like, I was up at like two in the morning shouting on my couch during that one. That's when you know, you know, when you've got the uh, emotionally involved in a match. Oh no, I watched it the next day. So I watched it. Uh, I watched it on the Monday. Mm. And um, to be honest, like I feel very much the same way you do. And I was kind of watching it, thinking, why isn't this like ambition? where there's a lot of stuff that's like four or five minutes mm. and it's short and it's sharp. That's what you want. There's a lot of kind of feeling each other out stuff. It's like, well, you don't need to do this, do you? You can kind of cut to the chase. And like you say, a 30 second knockout would be something different. Yeah. But, and that's the problem. And that's why the Tom Lawler homicide worked. Cause it was different. It felt yeah. different to everything else. And it didn't have the star power of a Moxley. And they were the two things that I kind of really stood out for me mm. else. And like it was, I thought Lawler did a hell of a job of kind of getting homicide through that. Yeah, it was a carry job sense. in a lot of ways. Oh, it felt like that, and he worked so hard. And you reminded by how good he is, mm. and how in normal circumstances this would have been a mania weekend just gone. That would have been kind of set up for him to have one of those big weekends. Mm. Um, and it was, it, but it was bloody fun. And and homicide kind of delivered what people wanted. Mm. Like it would have been ridiculous if he'd won. But it was oh, yeah. completely like for what it was, like Lawler made it into more of a match than it ever could have been. Mm. And so yeah, it, it was fun and it was different. Like, so the cop killer attempt is so stupid. Ridiculous. But, it's like it's like the Spanish fly in that WXW uh, yeah. ambition final. Like yeah, it doesn't really fit, but I kinda like that he tried and failed because Tom Lawler well, wasn't going up for that. If you've seen an hour and a half of basically the same type of matches, and mm. then you get that, you're like, Well, I kind of like thank God is how <laughs> I felt. Mm. I was a bit like, oh my God, this is going to be a slog until we get to the Moxley one, which I was looking forward to because of the reception he got as soon as he came out for the Oh, what a star he beginning. came off as. He came off the biggest yeah. star in the building. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's the kind of stuff him doing is good for him in terms of his image. And at a, like, it's the kind of idea of the big rock star playing the really tiny indie gig, isn't it? It's that mm. type of deal. And it's meant to feel grungy. And the shorts look is the way to go for him. Like, that just reminds me. I, it was like I was, because obviously G1 is stuck in the brain as well. Hmm. I was watching that match thinking, oh, God, like, this is reminding me of his G1 run. That was a really good G1 run, wasn't it? It was really, like, one of the nice things about him being released is I wasn't necessarily excited when he was released. Hmm. And he's really sort of, like, won me round in lots of ways. And yeah, so for both those matches, sorry, I went into the main event as well. I went 3.75 for mm. both of those because it didn't feel like this this whole show was a bit of a step down from what some of the other ones have been. But Oh yeah, it was like yeah. a... It was a sea of like two and two and a half stars for me, like for, for the show and maybe the other three there. But like they, they were the two. Yeah, and I went 3.75 on the homicide match and I went four on the main. To be honest, the main was a lot more polished. Uh, Moxley and Dickinson. Yes. If anything, like I, I do feel like it was, uh, it was probably it was a bit of a golfing class there, but I don't know. I just really enjoyed the uh, the undercard homicide match as well. So yeah, they were definitely uh, my two highlights of the show. Did you do you see any other, Gareth? Did you? Uh, yeah, I just watched those two, to be honest. Again, mm. I based it off like the average ratings on the app and then i think i'm gonna to have to uh be uh, off the reservation on this one with that tom lawler homicide one because that was the match that i was most looking forward to seeing and then i like watched it and then i was like oh i fucking hated it oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it just it just did not land with me at all in the slightest like uh, 
like it was definitely, definitely the one that I was most, you know, it was probably the match of the, the weekend that I was looking forward to oh, seeing the wow, most. And good. then I like watched it, saw like the near four star average on the app. And then mm. like, I just thought it was lame. I just thought it was oh, dark. Like, it, it was just it, for me, like it just, it, it felt like when, um, it felt like when I used to play Alex at FIFA when he was like six and I, you know, you like, let, let, let him win or kind of, you know, you know, let him have a chance kind of thing or something. It just, everything just felt so like light and artificial and just like uh, the, the amount, like this, the spent like, like so long grappling, wrestling on the floor and I was just taken right out of it. I was thinking, what, what's, uh, I, I was on my side, like matching this with a black belt Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. But but if he's if he's brought on the streets, I wanted him to be going to take a fucking eye out or something like that. Fair. You know, I don't want him trying. I don't want him trying. I don't want him trying to. Uh, you know, I don't want him trying to grapple and try and do like little reversals on the floor with a, a BJJ black belt. Like it was just a. Uh, it all just. It just. I don't know. I didn't like. I just didn't Aww. like the positioning of homicide trying to like you know when he, he did things like when he went for the cop killer and things that mm. i was like but yes more of that kind of thing that's he should be doing fucking ridiculous off the wall stuff here the kind contrast, of thing yeah. that you wouldn't expect from this from this style not there like you know trying to uh trying to take him down yeah. and trying to get top position and all all, all <laughs> that and even like them um even them like boots to the head to me they just looked a bit like shit that just looks really? a bit light oh, yeah, I thought yeah. he was literally kicking him in the head I didn't think Tom Waller oh, was very happy about that like he's I been thought, uh, doing like a couple of passive aggressive tweets about it as well like I've, I thought I've seen I've seen worst kick to the heads in a standard match kind of thing I thought oh, how does it rank up to a Carlisle street fight <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, Carlisle did have uh, Britain's number one football hooligan, Paul Dodd. So, um, so when it comes to uh, really? when it comes to the old Border City firm, there they get a bit tasty. Like so, uh, so I wouldn't have fancied Homicide's chances down Botchergate in Carlisle. I don't think it. Uh, I don't think it'd be uh, doing too uh, too good there. Again, niche local reference there for any any Cumbrians listening. Hello, John McGee, probably. But uh, um, <laughs> I'll be googling no. Paul Dodds later on. Oh yeah, see, pa- see what the pa- deal pa- with him is. Oh yeah, Paul Paul Dodd is uh, is you know he's had a book out and everything is uh, you'll uh, find plenty on Paul Dodd. Old Michael Knight and put an arm around him and took him into the club and like got him painting walls and things like that to put him on the straight and narrow. But un- unfortunately, it didn't uh, didn't work out for old Doddy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, with that with that match, there was I don't know. It, 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 I, I just really wanted like I say, I just wanted that more aggression. I just wanted homicide. Just co- just been like going totally away from the wrestling side of things and the BJJ set and, and break, turn it into a street fight. And that, because it wasn't like that, I don't know, that was a bit of a lie. In fact, I watched it twice because I thought, am I just totally fucking missed the point here? And then I watched it again and I was like, mm, no, you know, it's the same opinion. So <laughs> what, I feel what star like rating did you give it? I give it two and a half. Oh like, my and, God, no. And, 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 and that was probably like half a star just because it was homicide, really. <laughs> I, I wanted to give it two and then I thought, oh, I don't want to do it to the lad, you know, and like, uh, <laughs> I give him that low. Look. But the, contra- the contrast for me was where I w- only watched two matches on that event hmm. and the Moxley Dickinson one, uh, like, if given that on the app that had like basically the same average as Lola Homicide, I just thought it was leagues ahead. It just like actually looked like a proper legitimate fight where there were, you know, I know like you say it was more polished, but mm. I just felt like there were like, I just 
suspended my disbelief completely in that one. It just felt like they were really going at it, and you know, it was just significantly more enjoyable for me. I just think it was just better worked as a whole. What they did made sense a bit more and just fit in and things like that. And you know, I went like three point seven five on that. I absolutely, absolutely loved that one. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could have sat through a. Um, I don't know if I could have sat through a card full of it, to be honest. No. If, uh, if 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 the homicide lol is the uh, second highlight of the card, <laughs> I think I'll be giving the rest of that one a miss. I think, like JP said, the reason, like I think it, that one stands out is because it was different than everything else on the cards, and you know, maybe I, I was buying more. Uh, maybe I believe in homicide so much I was buying into his uh, his ground and pound with Tom Lawler, and that's why I was. A bit, I, I mean, I was the fact that like Tom Lawler as well was trying to take his knees off and trying to kick his knees off. I was so into that too. I thought like this is going to be the end of Homicide's career. This is going to try and go in and do a shoot fight with filthy Tom Lawler. And if, as I said the other week, if Tanahashi had elbows for knees, I don't know what uh, what Homicide's got for knees, wrists maybe. I don't know, but he's in, he's in a fucking state. Um, so maybe I was just yeah. I, I was very invested from that point of view. But again, I don't disagree with you. I would say the main event was the better match. Uh, maybe that's not entirely reflected in me. You know, we star ratings from a three point seven five to a four. Um, there was I would say there's a golfing class in like that style. But for me, yeah, that homicide match was just about what I want out of Blood Sport. I want like weird, wacky styles clashes, and yeah, obviously worked a little bit more for uh, for me and, and and JP than it did for yourself. But yeah, you know, if I wouldn't be telling you to go out and watch the other stuff from that show because you know the women's the tournament stuff just wasn't very good. I didn't think the uh, the women's. I don't know if you disagree, JP. Like we well, got Killer Kelly and Layla Hirsch there as well. How were they? How were they mm. two losing parts of like that women's tournament? Like how were they not going to the final? Like I'm a bit biased having you know seen Layla Hirsch break out at um in the women's to- tournaments at the uh, the last big WXW weekender. Um, I don't know it was the um it was tag festival last year. Yeah, uh, it was the first time I'd seen her. Um, and she's got clearly got something. She's going to be something great. Killer Kelly's very like she's she's very likable. Killer Kelly and you know isn't great at that style, but it is good enough. Um, but yeah, I didn't think there was much to write on about their matches, and not really much you can say about the other matches. Really, it was just to your point earlier, JP. It was just all matches that went ten minutes that could have gone two. And I, I get it as well because I think because Bloodsport's not a regular thing. It's a big ask to say to someone, oh, we're going to book you for this one-off event. And in this one-off event, you're going to come out and get knocked out in 30 seconds. Like, you never, if they, if you're not going to get to come back and, you know, quote-unquote, get your heat back or, you know, have it, have it pay off in another story. I kind of get them letting people get their shit in. But when it means people like Davey Boy Smith are going 10, 12 minutes in, in their matches, you kind of losing me a little bit really so yeah they were kind of uh by votes on the rest of that card lenny leonard was very good though on commentary so we'll call too he's uh good to see him back in the booth i would suggest on the commentary front they they could do a lot worse than just get lenny leonard and dave prazak to oh, basically time. commentate everything that's there even fight tv for them to just do commentary for fight tv for every and show their events yeah. for every show because they are a kind of a cut above yeah. They really are a cut above. Like, especially when you get to the GCW stuff and when you have like Kevin Gill on there, who he's, he's bad. You know, I, I don't think he's as bad as Twitter makes out, but I no. do think he's bad. I do I do agree he's, he's not I great, did, but he's not, but it's like I've heard a multitude of bad indie commentators at this point throughout my life. So in some ways it just becomes more white noise hmm. um than than anything else. But yeah, yeah, they would definitely be good for that. I have to apologise. I've got lost down a Paul Dodd um, <laughs> rabbit hole at points here. 
just in case you're curious, in the uh, news and star, Gareth, I don't know what you made of that as a uh, uh, as a Qual- newspaper. Quality, quality local rag, that one. Yeah. Well, 11th of June, 2018, notorious Carlisle football hooligan Paul Dodd jailed for baseball that violence, which seems very doddy, if we could say that, <laughs> and anything else like him. Yeah, kick their way into house, him and these other two blokes, 400 quid. I've also seen he has a book on Amazon. Did you know this? That is. <laughs> yeah, England's number one, The Great Adventures of a Serial Soccer Yob. It looks like absolute shite. But the ratings, right, four stars, which seems to be like it goes from like a couple of five-star people who seem to really look at the oeuvre. This is something we've gone back to on the regular on this show. Like one of the first ones, the book itself has quite a few anecdotes in it and stands up well against MIG crew, for example, in that regards. But Doddy had a ghostwriter to help him. A bloke who was with the lads on some trips mentioned in the book that Dodd earned very little and McPhee got most of the profits. Good on you, McPhee, because this Dodd seems like an absolute cunt. He really (laughs) does. And yeah, he he said it was like, he's given like quite a critical analysis of this. He says the fairly light page count and poor presentation of the book let down and detract from the actual content, which is as heavyweight as anything the Luton or West Ham lads came up with in terms of action. I feel like I've promoted this book inadvertently. <laughs> Just read the reviews. Maybe give a couple of shit ones for, for a laugh. I don't know. It looks fucking awful. And to be honest, on Amazon, there is, my God, there are a lot of books on this. Yeah. Jason Mariner, Kaz Pennant. He's like, it's like fucking Tolkien at this point. This fucking output he has. <laughs> if Tolkien fancied getting, you know, doing a large one on fucking Saturday night. <laughs> uh, where to go from sorry. there good start well, no. well I mean sorry. I mean I was going to ask you JP for you, to follow up with your thoughts on for the culture but should I throw to Steve Bunt instead like is that where we should go from here oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I I did feel for Steve Bunt at that I, I quite enjoy watching boxing coverage but I saw that happen as it was going on because obviously I was indoors and could do fuck all else. And it was the Partridge-esque intro from Paul Dempsey. Very much a bits and pieces sports presenter who appears <laughs> randomly around the place, like a latter-day Jim Rosenthal. Um, but that intro, just going, you know, it, it's like that thing you've seen on Twitter this week of how it started, picture of Rosa Parks, how it ended, picture of Steve Bunce. Like, <laughs> like that's... It's just like this kind of ridiculous fucking situation that BT have created. And Bunce, who hasn't done anything wrong, and as a boxing historian would be good value to cut to. Jeez, he was stitched up. What fucking hope did he have after that? David Hayes just sat right there. Like, I feel like that's your guy, isn't it? Like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, sorry, I can't speak. <laughs> so on that note, JP, tell us about For the yeah, Culture. sorry. For the Culture. <laughs> Completely forgot. Um, yeah, so For the Culture, I watched... There were two matches I watched from this as well. First of which... We shouldn't make too much light of it. It's a good show. I'm glad it existed. It is. And do you know what? A lot of the best indie workers of the weekend are on this. Yes. The people I'm actually kind of interested in the US indie scene, uh, Calvin Tankman... AJ Gray, yep. um, like AR Fox, 
is on there. I'm glad he got like to be in a main event. Obviously, Too Cold Scorpio. Oh yeah, which just for the theme music alone. That's our outro today. Those, yep. Oh god, yeah. Well, it had to be. We we had all simultaneously thought of this before we even got on this call tonight. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so it felt like there was a lot of people I was kind of interested in. Unfortunately, like because of time constraints, I saw Bloodsport before that. I kind of went to the ones on the grapple ratings that I wanted to see. Mm. Um, first of all, yeah, Lee Moriarty versus um, ACH, which I thought was really good. I went four stars on that. Um, I've seen. I say I've seen a lot of Moriarty this weekend. I've seen two of um, two matches of Lee Moriarty's. This one and the Jonathan Gresham one mm. from um, Spring Break as well. And I really liked both. And in normal circumstances, you'd say you'd want him to stay on the indie scene for quite some time, kind of develop his name, go abroad, and everything else. But it feels like there'll be a bun fight for him soon enough as well, and people trying to time down exclusively. And I can kind of see why because he feels like. He comes from that uh, lineage of wrestlers who are really interested in that very predominantly map-based ground-down technical style. Mm. And I think we could always do with some of that. It adds a lot of variation to shows generally. So I was happy to see that. ACH has gone for the matches I've seen him in, in the match I saw him in GCW when they did the outdoor show on the pier. Um, I thought, like that was kind of overlong for me. And he is working this kind of slightly more dragged out style. And it's, it's not a showy, but you know what? It was good. And I really enjoyed this match. And it was a really good showcase for Moriarty. I was happy that he got the surprise win because it builds up to further stuff down the road. It doesn't kind of kill it there. A feud between these two, if you know, COVID permitting that you're able to run like across various companies is at the moment the kind of thing that the US indie scene could really do with. Um, so I really, yeah. I, I Did you both see that match? I haven't seen the, I haven't seen the ACH one. I watched the, the Gresham one, the mm. oh, yeah. spring break. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But again, again, it was just like so impressive because again, it's one of those names that you, you know, I've heard, or, you know, confess i haven't seen any lee moriarty before seeing this but just seeing the small things he was doing in that gresham match and i was bouncing about a bit here but like the in, in you know just the the little the little touches that he just had in the things that he was doing just like little things like when he, he had gresham pinned and he was just like using his foot to hold his arm down and think you know that was just like just what great little just a small little detail that someone of that age and that level of experience doing, you know, in there against someone like Gresham, it just shows that they just get it. And I think just, you know, just some of the way he was, um, you know, just some of the, the way he was working on uh, Gresham, putting like the arm bars on, on him a bit earlier on and just little touches like where he's like, he'd had the shoulder injury himself and he was like, knocking his shoulder into the corner pad like to kind of almost put his shoulder back in kind of thing and mm. you know just like real small little touches that you you, you know you think oh god if, if this is him now like five or six years down the line when he's just continuing to just work with people better than himself and improve like god he's going to be a he's going to be good isn't he you know and i know i'm basing that on one match but it certainly made me go let's go out there and you know, the next on my list is the ACH, ACH match. I just didn't get a chance to watch that before this, but it certainly made me think, yeah, I want to see a lot more of this guy and hopefully we'll get him over here once we're uh, once the world's back to normal. 
Oh, it felt like it felt like a breakout. Like it felt like because that I think like you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's the match of the weekend on Grapple as well. It's got like a four average. I think even those blood sport matches are below four, aren't they? That tells you everything. Yeah. Um, and that's funny because it's the meme show Janela. But like the act- to be fair, like we kind of skipped over Janela a little bit there. But like the, the undercard of that was really good as far as like in ring goes. Like you got that, uh, you got your flippy tag, and you got the uh, that Alex Shelley Tony Depper match, which was just a really nice little technical match. ACH to Leo Rush on that show as well. Um, but when yeah, when uh, Moriarty is the one we're talking about from that show, that kind of tells you everything, doesn't it? Um, I went three point seven five on that because that was really good. Um, and yeah, I'd share your thoughts, JP, on his for the culture match as well. I think he's just he's one to watch. He, he's absolutely yeah. like the breakout star this weekend. If it's not too cold, Scorpio, um, he's the man. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say on that um, on that for the culture show, they were the only two I saw. I saw that match, and I saw the main. Main event, the two cold Scorpio match, which was just like really, it was about the last five minutes, and about like you know, two cold Scorpio was a little bit off the pace for, for most of the match with AR Fox, and you know, they were trying a bit too be too creative with like table and like chair spots on the outside and stuff on the apron, and it wasn't a hundred percent coming together. But as soon as two cold Scorpio, it like firstly, like the uh, the flipping leg drop off the top, and then the moonsault leg drop that we've all seen him hit like you know in the early 90s like i remember the first time i saw him do that thing and like how the fuck has he got his body like in that position like he was it's so good that he was on this show like as like a you know as somebody you can look back as like one of the you know premier like you know, big breakthrough you know in wcw in a mainstream promotion like uh, wrestlers not just as as a black wrestler but as like a flyer like the amount of influence like two cold scorpio's got is unbelievable and like as i mean it, it was absolutely the right decision to like to go off with him as a as a main event and yeah like i say i didn't even think the match was that good i, got, I went three and a half but i really feel like most of the three and a half was for like the closing bit of the match and the the rolling back of the years bring i'm sure you two are uh were smiling ear to ear the uh, the early 90s wcw fans and you uh, um, I was maybe a bit more mid nineties and thinking of the flash front days, but um, I, have, I have seen those tapes as well, so there's that too. Uh, but I thought that was a real highlight of the weekend as well on the, on top of this great this show. Yeah, I love I loved that. It was you know, like you say, it was that it was that flashback element, obviously, just like hearing the uh, hearing the WCW theme for him coming out, and I was just I was saying to you guys before, like I've just been singing that around my kitchen just all afternoon since I watched that match, and just uh, just uh, stepping away around the kitchen while I uh, while I sing along to that. But uh, oh yeah, I mean, God, when he came, I remember him in 1992, absolutely just blowing my mind. Some of the stuff he was doing was absolutely I'd never seen anything like it before, and he was definitely one of those where, as I was trying to. At that age, what would I be like, thirteen or something like that? Convinced some of my friends to get into wrestling. I was definitely like showing them two girls Scorpio stuff and like, you know, God, look at this. Can you believe somebody's capable of doing that? You know, the uh, the the splash and things like that. So then to see him coming out there today, and then when I watched that match and just seeing him do like the, you know, just doing that like front flip leg drop, doing the <laughs> just that. Um, it, just the way he moved kind of thing once he kind of got into his rhythm there mm. at the end and you, you know it just i was looking at the game and i was thinking like fucking hell you're 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 a year older than nakanishi and think like well <laughs> nakanishi could hardly like walk to the ring at the end could he basically it was a struggle for him to get on the ring apron and he's a he's a scorpio pulling out moonsault leg drops and things it was just uh it was just fantastic I, you just can't this is what like this is where like 
these type of weekends are just the best way you just get somebody like this and then they're just brought out of it brought out of nowhere and they're just given that position and again kind of thing that they just get a bit of limelight put on them um what you know one more time some like nostalgia wrestler and then just you know seeing ar fox just giving him so much and just you know absolutely just wanting to just put on the best match for him that he possibly could. It was it was fantastically, you know, you talk about, okay, match quality and all that business. But, I mean, I went three and a half because I just had a massive smile on my face throughout. It was just great fun and, you know, absolutely hit everything that you'd, that you'd wanted to see, really. Yeah, completely agree with that. As we both, you went three and a half, a lot of it based around nostalgia, really. But at the same time, um, it, it, it feels amazing to me that this is – like that he hasn't been in the kind of more featured like there's so many wrestlers who are older than him in big featured matches like ricky morton for example Mm. and it seems strange to me that tukal scorpio isn't someone who's brought back on the reg to be honest that that could be choices because whatever else he's doing in life at this moment in time Mm. but you see the kind of reception because i know for me he was to me he was like the first time that somebody had debuted, and I would have been like looking at Aptomax, and I know you would have been as well, Gareth, around that time. Like, I really wasn't aware of him before he debuted. And I think they showed highlights of him debuting from the Clash of Champions because it yeah. was Ron, Ron Simmons' partner, yeah. wasn't it? And and kind of thinking, who's this guy? I have no idea. And then seeing the flips and going, Jesus Christ, he seems amazing. And yeah, was there for a while. So there's like, there's this real impression for this particular part of time. And it's probably like, even to a degree, you know, the fact of worldwide being on on the Saturday afternoons, there's, there's going to be like a whole load of wrestling fans from that, that period of time. We've got such a soft spot for him, which is why in some ways when flash funk came about, that felt such a, such a crushing disappointment. And even though, yeah, you reminded me because like I was living that at the time as like a hardcore WWF fan in 1986. And literally the week before, I'd um I'd rented the um uh, super is it Super Bowl three, uh, VHS where it's got him and Benoit in the opener is that that show I'm pretty sure it is mm. like and I'd seen that the week before and I remember thinking oh my god who's this dude he's like he's like nothing in WWF and then like on like a random Raw or Superstars or something like he started advertising oh coming soon Flash Funk and I was like that's too cold Scorpio <laughs> that's that guy from that WCW take last week um. But yeah, as a rebrand, it, it didn't really. Yeah. Even even as like a twelve year old kid, I was like, yeah, this is kind of lame. Uh, this is probably not the the act for this guy doing like a what was he like a seventies dancer or something. Uh, yeah, didn't really work. Yeah, it was Vince, wasn't it? Let's go to stereotypes. That was the, the way he worked for it. Hmm. Um, like a kind of fascinating career, isn't it? That he, that he's had in terms of the places that he bounced about because it's True. always very much sort of two three years at a time generally isn't it there's like yeah, wcw and then there's the run in ecw and especially like the match with um douglas mm. was think of the the kind of the formation of ecw and then wwf and then the kind of all japan noah run and the rest of it and that's and that's pretty much been him but he like you think of all these wrestlers that kind of go into hall of fames and other stuff like that and they're, they're kind of you know relatively anonymous at times and here's someone who really doesn't kind of ever get the credit that he deserves and the probably the amount of influence he would have had on on so many people at that point in time so it was i was kind of made up that he had this kind of moment to shine and obviously ar fox won and that's and you know and you could tell that like he's getting a buzz of being in there with two cold scorpio as well and that's Mm. and so the overall main event just gave you this good feel good feel 
didn't it? It was just like a real nice feel-good moment, generally. You watch a match, you take that trip down nostalgia lane, there's a bit of like, Jesus Christ, you shouldn't be doing that in his 50s. But, yeah. Really, so, if go out, like, so far, That's not for the culture show, yeah. Yeah, watch it if for no other reason than it's kind of nostalgia value. And then when you finish with it, go on YouTube and just look up that cracking two gold Scorpio promo video from WCW where he's dancing in the playground with all those kids because uh, I've watched that about 10 times today as they've gone on this Scorpio nostalgia kick as well. It is just the best. <laughs> I can't do it. My voice is gone. But just even <laughs> I could, all I've got is here comes two gold Scorpio in the highest pitch way. <laughs> There you go. So yeah, two cold Scorpio loving. That's uh, that's what we planned on doing this week. It's, yeah, uh, well deserved though. Like you said, a legend who doesn't get his due. Um, I mean, did you guys have any other highlights from the weekend? I mean, you mentioned before the uh, Ricky Morton doing a similar to two cold Scorpio. Enjoyed this match with Joe. You know, I went three and a half on that as well. It's just there, uh, like just the fact that Ricky Morton was up for those table spots and Janella like double stomping him through tables and bleeding for it and putting him over after the match as well, which you know Jim Cornette would have hated. Um, I enjoyed that. That was another highlight of the weekend for me. I've seen most of the the Effie show as well. I don't know if you guys uh, saw any of that or had any uh, highlights. No, haven't haven't started on that. How was that? Fine. It was a lot of gimmicks, really. Um, It wasn't... There's there's nothing in that Effie show where I point to it and go, oh, this this is a match. You know that you need to watch. This is like a a three or four star match. Uh, I think that's reflected on Grapple as well. I don't think there's anything in the average that goes above three and a half. Also, there's Effie Priscilla Kelly that does go actually four, uh, which was you know fun as like an intergender match. But I feel like the two people who've rated that have maybe <laughs> rated that a little bit high. Um, I don't know if did you see the gif of the the Effie spot with uh what's his name stuck yeah. with the dildo? Yeah, there was there was a bit of kickback from that, but you know it was just a fun show. It was an easy watch really like you, you you know when you, you're watching a show and you've got like cassandro versus sunny kiss on it um, mm. and you've got a twink battle royal um you know the kind of vibe they were going for um for me it was just like there's nothing really like from a match point of view that i'm going to point out but it was the type of match where i'm going like i'm type of show where i'm going i'm glad it took place i'm glad that it was yeah. there to showcase you know a lot of a lot of you know lb GT wrestlers and a lot of and I think there were there were people on the show like the likes of Tony Deppen um turning up in tiny trunks. Um I don't think um uh, he's LBGT, but he's uh you know a friend of the community. Uh, there was a lot of that. I was sad that Nick Gage never got to do the uh the Bicurious Battle Royal that he was advertised for in March. Um but I think it's 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 a good it's a good thing to exist in wrestling and a good way to similar to like you said with for the culture, JP, you know, highlight wrestlers that should be used more um in more more in more places and get more spotlight and just you know be taken you know as a as a serious part of uh of this business so yeah there's nothing there that's like match wise that i thought was particularly right on about but just a, a fun like kind of party um an occasion um that i'm glad that took place on the weekend the kind of shows that should be on these kind of weekends it's mm. just a shame it's not in it's in pandemic re and you know in a pandemic and we're going to find out what the after effects of all of that is because let's face it, it could all involve car journeys and the rest of it. And Christ knows what's going to end up spreading around the place, sadly, as a result. But yeah, like you say, it's, it's kind of like, and that might be an idea of the whole collective thing as a whole, really for this weekend is it's important. It exists Mm. like it needs to exist of like just the whole genre of independent wrestling. And then you have sub genres there as well of shows that are fulfilling niches a lot of the times and showcasing loads and loads of young talent. It's like 
that's kind of what these wrestling weekenders should be. Mm. And as much as we might say, like, say blood sport is like, like there are bits of it where it just, we it didn't really connect for us. I'm glad it exists on here. And it's mm. like having this whole kind of mesh of all of these worlds and then all of these other independent shows where you're getting crossover between a lot of these shows as well. And that's, and that's good in terms of exposure for, for new talent, which the indie scene is absolutely crying out for. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, in theory, it's, it's, you know, it should just be a celebration of wrestling, shouldn't it? And just showcasing as many, like you say, showcasing the new talent, but showcasing, you know, different um, groups that might not necessarily get the same opportunities as they ordinarily would, but then also being able to put some of the uh, the people who've done the work in the past and, um, you know, big names from the past and things like that, get them a, one last showcase and put them on the spotlight again as well, really. So, you know, I think for in terms of obviously from a crowd perspective, it was limited what it could do. But I think in terms of what they delivered across the, the shows as a whole, certainly from what I'm reading and certainly from the makeup of all the shows, it seems like they definitely, you know, achieved that and, you know, put on that, you know, that broad, broad celebration that hopefully they, they can do again, you know, next year, hopefully to a, a bit more of a, a wider crowd and, and continue to build on it. Just to add one last thing, I know, and it's it's kind of related to the you killed David Arquette. I, uh, it's funny through my work, I get a subscription to this kind of independent film service called Mubi. You might have seen adverts for it, M U B I. And one of the things they had on there, and I haven't seen it yet, is a documentary about um, Cassandra. And you kind of figure like who's one of these figure that figures that exists within wrestling and is kind of that true kind of, I suppose, independent legend in so many ways and it, it like it's what i'm actually thought to myself ah if i get a chance i wouldn't mind having a look at that in the near future because it appears to be a pretty incredible story to tell so it's nice like you say gareth about you know those the kind of people like who don't often get mentioned or, or kind of get someone neglected like a two cold scorpio and a cassandra it's nice to see them get like kind of good main event time and kind of real respect from crowds and audiences Joe. And I even enjoyed Joey Janela a bit more in his correct environment. Oh, there, you a, there you go. He was he was in the right environment in a half-empty gym with somebody in comparable ring shape to him. Um, that was the uh, that was the the best of Janela. Yeah, Ricky Martin looked like he was having the fucking time of his life, didn't he? You know, it, it, yeah. it really did. Yeah, you, you know, you'd be looking at it on the surface, thinking, "What the hell's he doing?" Like, you know bleeding and going through tables and going through doors and things like that at his age but like god you could just tell he was loving every second of it so uh yeah. who, who who's anybody to complain about that fucking loved it and so did i yeah you don't <laughs> you don't get that from uh from gibson do you just martin he's the one he's up for it and uh, so i'm glad he was doing the singles and yeah yeah that's where joey janela belongs like i know you you had plenty to say about him at aw gareth and i don't disagree with you but like presenting these types of shows and these types of weekends like he's the king isn't he of these weekends and that's that's his that's his environment and that's his role and that's where he should be um, he's a he's an indie auteur who shouldn't yeah. be making mainstream films. There is David go. Lynch making Dune when he appears in AEW? It's like, <laughs> mate, you shouldn't be fucking doing this. You haven't got a clue. No, sorry. Don't, uh, don't you dare, dare use David Lynch in the same sentence as uh, Joe Janela. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Joey Janela is much better. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm not a Twin Peaks guy. Sorry, everyone. Um, 
<laughs> I was going to say, like, the, the, the other thing, though, I do want to, like, kind of emphasise as much as, like, I enjoyed lots over that weekend. I am still cautious that this is a new story. You know, we're recording on a Wednesday night tonight, so we're not going to have much AEW thought. But, like, you know, there were AEW wrestlers all over this weekend. At time of recording, Dan the Dad came out and said he's tested positive for COVID. He was on these shows. He was around other wrestlers. There's stories of other wrestlers, you know, are they getting tested? Are they leaving it? You know, you've got to, like, leave it maybe a couple of days before you get yourself tested, before you declare on Twitter that you're, uh, you're negative for COVID after being around all these people. I still really hope that's not a big story that blows up more than you know than it has already um because that's uh that's certainly going to be a real black eye um if say you know the aw wrestlers who were there you know the fact that aw allowed moxley to work these shows considering he's their champion like that says a lot um i really hope yeah wrestlers get themselves tested and fans get themselves tested and you know we don't have a a big news story that comes out of this because that was one thing like although i had a good time watching some of these shows it was still alarming to kind of look at it and go fuck me that's a lot of people in an indoor building um you know over a long weekend um and i know they took some precautions but yeah um let's hope that one doesn't uh blow too much uh in everyone's faces um, but I was going to say, I mean, before we get to, to, to New Japan, there was one other uh, thing you watched this week, JP. You do, you you finally decided to uh, to catch up on your you know what you think? Did you watch the uh, the M one final? Do you want to give us a? How was that? Uh, couple of points to pull you up on there. Noah duties. This is news to me. Um, <laughs> I didn't realise that I had duties that I had to fulfil in relation to uh, to, to processing Noah. But there we are. Um, the other one was in terms of catching up. If you mean by that watch the final then that is exactly <laughs> what i did um i will be watching zeus miyahara from the champion carnival i just didn't manage between the g1 i don't know what it was i made the choice of watching this n1 final instead and i would just say generally overall go and watch it it's a it's a it's a good match um i went four stars on it in fact i say it's more than a good match it was it was um uh katsuhiko um, nakajima versus uh kaito um kiyomiya in the final, which actually was good because I mean, even though Nakajima's like kind of been around since he was a fucking child, like working the dome at 16 and daft stuff like that. He's only 35, but he's such like a kind of grizzled vet and he feels like he's truly found his character now. Mm. And he feels like he's the person to kind of lead them over this next foreseeable while with um, Kiyomiya chasing. That's that appears to be the pattern for it. And it was, I really enjoyed it. There was kind of Nakajima with these kind of great, great, uh, great kicks. There was a good pace to it throughout. Um, Kiyomiya is like kind of a very good underdog. He's not necessarily flashy, but they've taken a risk by going with someone. Because I think at this point, he's only about 23 or 24. He is, he is very young. In fact, when he was on excursion, he, t- he turned up in the wrestlers documentary, the, the one that um, Damien Abram did. Um, for Vice TV, and he turns up in the Northern Reservation for that. And he's someone that basically he needs to do the journey part of his career. That's what he needs to do next. He needs to kind of, it's the point where he needs to build into being the ace. But kind of what you need for that to work is you need that nemesis to kind of overtake. And it would make sense to go to have Nakajima, you know, up against Shiozaki because you've got the whole Axis tag split stuff with them. Put the belt on Nakajima and have um, Kiyomiya chasing. That appears to me like the kind of most sensible, straightforward booking that Noah could do, but they don't always do that. So, like as as a match, it was in front of a, a good crowd more than it was at the Champion Carnival 
uh, final for all Japan. It appeared to be a what felt like a kind of one and a half to two thousand kind of crowd there as well. And like I say, it was it was just really enjoyable. What led to the fit is this fucking nasty, brutal kick from Nakajima to this kind of side of the head that that led there. But um, yeah, really enjoyed it. And his charisma is there, which as we all remember, and it's a point I want to raise on the, the sort of when we talk about G1 later on, he added something to that G1 because we didn't really know much about him. Mm. And there was a kind of freshness to his matches. And even though he wasn't the f- finished article, and if we were going to go back and retrospectively review those matches that Nakajima had, he'd probably still be going like kind of between three and 3.75 for the vast majority. But like, it's like he's got the character down. And he's wrestling the style that really works for that character. And I think there's a lot of other people who've gone a bit higher on it. And I can kind of see why. But yeah, I think it's a match that if you get a chance to see and you've got time, which Christ knows if you have between the ridiculous amount of shows going on, um, I'd definitely say go out and watch. Yeah, average of 4.16 on Grapple right now. Uh, which in empty arena era is a very good rating, isn't it? As we'll talk about yeah. when we get to the yeah, G1 later. But yeah, I've heard, uh, heard great things about it as well. So yeah, if you, if you have got the time, and time is of uh, <laughs> the essence right now with so much else going on. Um, yeah, it sounds like a, a hearty recommend from you there. Mm-hmm. Um, the one other thing I was going to mention, again, we're not going to go into it. We'll, we'll catch up on AEW last, uh, next week, uh, which is a shame because uh, yeah, like the, the, the latest episode is going to be airing uh, before we uh, we put this thing out, and uh, so this is already out of date. But that code Cody Rhodes uh, Brody Lee match went four stars on Grapple for that one. One of the one of my favorite like TV matches, probably my favorite TV match of the year. That was fucking proper wrestling. Um, that was incredible. I, I watched that this week. Uh, Jericho and Doctor Luther in the main event was just hilarious. Uh, as far as like <laughs> Doctor Luther trying to pull, wow, tr- trying to catch work with Jericho and where could be completely blown up and trying to it keep up fucked, and do these, oh, <laughs> trying to do like these top rope spots and stuff. Uh, yeah, they were they were two highlights of my week. Uh, catching up with that, but you know, obviously not probably not worth going into too much detail. Uh, the the Jericho end credits on that uh, that Jericho special were uh, were fantastic yeah. on AEW as well. Well, weren't they? Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely uh, enjoyed watching that this uh, this last week. Uh, did you uh, any any thoughts on that quickly, Gareth, or anything else you've been you've been watching before we move on? Yeah, I mean, it was just a great show, wasn't it? From just having you know some some good matches on there. You know, obviously, like you say, that Cody Brody Lee match was absolutely spot on. You know, I think I went three point seven five on it, which again, as a TV match, you know, you don't see many that you that you're getting into that territory there that you're sort of like thinking, oh, should I go four star on this? That doesn't happen with TV matches very often, and just yeah, the whole the whole way that was work was absolutely absolutely fantastic nice. stuff. You know, yeah. that was that was yeah, it was it was it was just like. One of those where it just feels real, and the, yeah. the the actual you know the conflict between them's there, and it just comes across through the screen and and everything like that. You know, it just genuinely feeling like a real fight. Absolutely, absolutely loved that. Like you, just laughing made off at, at, at Luther, and um, I think um, as as well, just just enjoying. Um, just enjoying Will Hobbs again. You know, we've mentioned him in the last few weeks as well, seeing him get that chance to go in there with Brian Cage and start the show. And, you know, mm. it was uh, what, what better way to start the show than just two big lads just knocking shit out of each other. And it was, you know, it was, again, it was it was just perfectly executed to, to give Hobbs the leg up that he needs to, again, make him look more and more credible and keep building that while also looking, making, uh, making Cage look good as well, really. So across the show as a whole, it was... Uh, 
yeah, it was it was really good, and a, and a little little appearance from Tanahashi as well. Oh yeah, yeah, there is that story. <laughs> oh yeah, the forbidden door, it's opening, <laughs> or is it? Believe it, I believe it when I see it. Yeah, that's where I, I stand with this, and it's just about winding people up and getting yeah. a reaction at this point. Which fair play, do it. Like yeah. I don't yeah. have an issue with that at all. Yeah, like, mention, mention you to... Japan as much as you can on commentary because it's clearly trolling people. Well, I just started dropping Nakanishi stuff in there, as, like <laughs> like putting a comment about him, you know, to throw it in there, like. So what have you been doing? I've been watching the G1. Oh, and then just, like, you know, better cut to Dasher. <laughs> uh, that's it. But... I mean, I mean Bully, Bully Ray was on there as well, so you never know. You might get him showing up on Dark to get everyone excited as well. Let's not. <laughs> and never put anyone over. Oh, I'll, I'll be honest. I loved his TNA run when he was the leader of the Aces and Eights, but that was the last time I would ever, oh. I was interested in anything Bully Ray will ever do again. Uh, especially after that Ring of Honor run where he was the booker and he just. I think, I think that was the story, wasn't it? He just like he wasn't even supposed to be on the booking meetings. He just turned up because he was like a veteran and just talked his way into like the booking committee. And then all of a sudden, he's just on every show, spending fifteen minutes doing ECW promos and squashing people. Uh, yeah, we don't need that on AEW. No, no, he can stay stay well clear, please. <laughs> he he was the worst aspect of that kind of selfish fucking carny work. I remember him and Char Samuels, mm. uh, Rev Pro. Mm. Like, I mean, that bloke is just like he talks that bullshit veteran game that mm. so many fucking love to and subscribe to, which is just bullshit mythology. Mm. Where it's just like, oh, I love. The old, why can't we be like the old guys? And it's like, because a load of them were cunts. That's probably why you should be. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's call it as we fucking see it here. <laughs> Jericho oh, listening. Dick Murdoch was great. Fuck off. Just fuck <laughs> off. Why? Because he probably drove fucking drunk and has got a couple of dead bodies buried in a desert. <laughs> and I've got no evidence to back that up. That's just an example. I was going to say that if we're, going, if we're going down this route, there's probably like more problematic people than Bully Ray in the uh, the videos Jericho got his mates to uh, to send in through that uh, that AEW episode. All his uh, all his mates oh, from the, uh, the music and TV world. There were some characters there who seemed shocked that he was a wrestler at times by some of them. It's like, how well do you fucking know him? Surely he would have come up in conversation. <laughs> He's just a well-travelled rock star, Chris Jericho or Fuzzy. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. Uh, um, but yeah, like I say, we'll we'll catch up more on uh, on AEW at uh, at some point in the future. Um, I mean, before we we move on, we're going to go into uh, to New Japan in a second and cover uh, our thoughts on the last week and a bit of uh, of G One action. But before we do um, tonight, there's been more breaking news as well um at the time of recording uh, there's been a couple of news stories out about it unfortunately very sad to see that uh, that ryan smile um former former uh, rev pro cruiserweight champion ott champion um has died um, there's not a huge amount of uh, detail uh, around it at the moment you're seeing a lot of people uh, that know him well and um, doing tweets about you know mental health and you know taking care of one another and you can read into into that uh, what you will um you know there's a host of names um on twitter you know from pete dunn to to kid like us to to wrestling companies like tnt and uh, ott um and wrestlers you know as far abroad as uh, as america and people who knew him really well uh, andy quilden as well um putting a, a glowing tribute uh, out um and again he's, he's someone i think he'd only just turned uh, 30 or if not you know there or thereabouts absolutely no age um i believe he's uh, he's a new dad as well um which is extremely sad um just a 
a really really uh, sad story and obviously you know we send our, our condolences out to uh, to anybody who is a uh, you know a fan of him or or knew him personally but yeah um, for the show we're gonna we're gonna move on we're gonna talk some g1 uh, let's get into it lads let's talk the a and the b block of the last nine days Right, let's talk some G1 then. Lads, I think it's fair to say this is, uh, we talked about G1 fatigue last week, but I think I'm past the point of fatigue now, but the end is in sight. Um, I've got no more B-block days. I need to catch up on of a, of a night after work, so I'm in a I'm in a good mood. I'm happy to, to recap the, the last week and a bit of a, a G1 and look forward to this final, but yeah, I'm not going to miss those uh, those B-block nights. I've, uh, have you found it? This uh, this has been a long week. We've got six shows to uh, to talk about. I've got to be honest, I got, I got into a routine of either watching the A-block shows live or watching the A-block shows as soon as I get home from work, and then my B-blocks were just piling up. That's kind of how it's been for me for the last couple of weeks. And I think that makes it worse, because then I'm watching, like, two B-block shows in a night, um, and kind of trying to chase my tail and catch up with myself. It's never a good thing if you fall behind in G1 season, but proud of myself that I've made it so far. Not skipped any matches, um, so, you know, I'll take that as a win. Uh, how are you doing this uh, this first podcast in G1 season, Gareth? <laughs> Well, I mean, I've gone from being like right on track with it all last time where I was saying, yeah, yeah, I'm managing to watch it every day and I'm just uh, getting through it okay. But I think um, I just allowed myself to have like a bit of a one day break kind of thing. And then and then I realized the flurry that was coming like right behind it. So that, even just that one day break just like knocked me out of it. So as I was trying to get back on on like track, I was like trying to watch them live where possible and then catching up with what had gone before around it. So trying to get in a bit before or trying to get a bit in just after the live show that I'd watched. So I eventually did kind of catch up, but I was watching things a bit like Alter Cock in some instances kind of thing. I was, you know, in, you know, we were watching somebody wrestle on day 13 and then watching their day 11 match after it. Like luckily, obviously <laughs> with the Japanese commentary, it doesn't, you know, you, you get, you're not getting any spoilers or anything like that, which always helps sort of thing. But I was saying JP before, I don't think it's so much G1 fatigue with me, but it was just the word, the thing I found is just, especially with these six shows now, mm. since we last recorded, it's like G1 snow blindness, almost kind of thing where I'm just watching B block and it's like the second match on the show. And it's just, I don't, you know, just pick two random names, you know, any two wrestlers are wrestling in that second match and I know it's going to go 10 minutes and I know it's largely inconsequential and things. And Three stars. Your mind, your mind does wander, doesn't it? And you're kind of, you know, I find myself like 
suddenly realizing that you know the flow of the match has changed or something like that and i've got no reason why no knowledge of why it's happened or something like that it's like when you it's like when you drive into work on the m62 or something and you suddenly realize like fucking hell i'm like 20 miles down the motorway here like how the hell did i get here you know that that whole that whole subconscious driving off i've definitely felt that's uh yeah. fit in with some of these earlier matches but um but i mean in the in the main i think i think because there's obviously been a lot of good stuff that's come through obviously in the in the a block particularly i think there's there's certainly been there stuff there to 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 pique your interest and you know make you make you watch it again and you know kind of look forward to the next day yeah it's like energizing isn't it the a block i think it really it does help <laughs> it keeps you going and that b block like i think the benefit of the way i've been watching it i don't know if you've been doing the same jp is if i leave it a couple of days at least there's english commentary then and i've got kevin kelly to wake me up like and I'm not even you know I'm not gonna slag it off entirely. I feel I'm not I'm not saying like it's a it's a block full of one star matches, but it it is just a block full of three star matches, and they're just not for me personally. The wrestlers in those matches aren't the most interesting. And the good thing is if you watch it with the English commentary, like like I say, you can if you, if your eye wanders a bit or you you know you kind of move off from screen, you got Kevin Kelly to pull you back into it. Whereas I find like I do find those B block shows especially a bit of a struggle with the uh, with the Japanese commentary to uh, to keep me engaged. Uh, has your story been the same, JP? Or have you been keeping on top of uh, of this right way through? I've tried my best this week to keep on top because I did do that like the week before and watch the English language commentary mm. just to kind of get me over that phase. And then I kind of worked out a routine. Mm. So it feels like this week I've heard more from Milano Collection AT than I have my own children. <laughs> which has been great like as a, well. A, he has been. And okay, like every time Gabriel Kidd wrestle, wrestles, there's always like British wrestlers just get brought up and you hear British style and things like that. And you just think, oh, all right, he's schooling them on this. And then Liger's been there this week as well. Mm. And like, it's the point I tell all the voices apart, even the lad from TV Asahi, who I have no fucking idea who he is because he's a guy with a champagne Nagami. Mm. Um, but yeah, overall, like this week has been a grind. But I kind of knew it was going to be a grind. So it's like getting through it. So when you mentioned like that B block, it's almost like there are just enormous three stars over the entire screen the whole way through. So I kind of know what I'm getting myself in for. Mm. And it's like you say, it's not been bad. I mean, I've got kind of many thoughts about the G1, which we'll save for when we do the um, the, the, the kind of recap roundtable on it. Mm. But like there is that snow blindness effect that's happening. There are mer- days that kind of merge into each other with these. I mean, I found myself watching Go O versus Evil today and it was just like, oh my God, this is when it feels like a fucking, this feels when it feels like homework I don't want to do and it's Sunday night and heartbeats on. It's <laughs> like, oh, it's, it's like, I've got to do this. I've got to watch this. Fuck me, I'm not looking forward to it. All you pray is it's short. Which yeah. is again, uh, was saying both. Yep, that's when Yano really sort of comes into his own. Mm. Um, and it's where like something like Yujiro versus Ibushi kind of sent me into a slight rage. And I was like, we like take five minutes off this for fuck's sake. So I need it, just cut to the Kamagoya and let's move on. <laughs> like, because it looks like Yujiro can't even walk at this point. Let alone stand up straight, which I'm not sure he's done in years either. But yeah, so I've gone straight into the A block. Yeah, this this B block at times it's been a slog. Night O matches have just seemed to have gotten longer and longer. He's picking up the Yano slap, is what he's doing. It is evil, fucking hell. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, we'll get into the B block, but let's cheer ourselves up, JP. Let's give us ourselves that energy mm. boost. Let's talk some A block first, because you know what? I gotta say, last week we were talking about like how we were waiting for that, you know, the big march or the big show. I'm not, this might just be me personally, but genuinely this week. I got my favourite match of the tournament and I got my favourite day of the tournament. Both from the A block, obviously. But like, yeah, I, I had a great time this week watching the A block. I feel like it was, it felt like, it felt like G1 season. Like that, that day 13, like you would, for me, you would struggle to find. A, there isn't a bad match on that show. You, you might say, you know, Jay White and Yujiro isn't your thing, you know, with the with the gaining and the and the going for like the you know the character stuff and Jay White coming out in his in his t shirt and wanting Yujiro to lay down for him and all of that stuff. Okay, fair enough. If you if you say to me you didn't enjoy that, that's okay. Everything else on that show was fucking great. It was just wall to wall bangers from Cobb and Ishii in Cobb's best performance of the G1 to Osprey and Taichi who uh, we've used his music for the intro to this podcast. He, we've been singing his praises surprisingly through this G1 and that was uh, uh, another you know great performance from him. Kota Ibushi and Minoru Suzuki killing each other oh. was great and Akada and Shingo in the main event. Like For me, that show was where the G1 came alive. Yeah, completely agree with that. It was it, it was the it was the day that felt like kind of classic G one. It was the day that you, when watching it, the crowd like everything else, it, it just sort of felt like it was it was like a throwback. Mm. It really was, and you were able to completely switch off. And I think partly part of the reason why the day works is that Jay White Ujiro was so different from everything else, so it kind of broke things up nicely. So you had it allowed the um, Ishii Cobb match to kind of breathe a bit mm. rather than following it up with another wrestling match and I I was thinking to myself is that Jeff Cobb's best performance um, that we've seen from him and he, he's like a, one of a, of a couple of wrestlers in this tournament who've kind of it may only be incrementally but they've improved from where they were and they're in a better position now than what they were at the start of it but yeah that those three matches like kind of going um back to back to each other as well. Yeah, that was great. That felt like kind of big card New Japan. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Echo everything that you say there. That was just, you know, that you know, we talked last week about wanting that that big match, that genuine G1 match or, or that big G1 day. And, it, you know, this one absolutely delivered. And like you say, Benio, I think every every single match there for different reasons and at the level that it needed to deliver on did that. And, you know, I, I think, you know, even as we, you know, as I look at the average ratings ac- across the whole, this one like sits there from the tournament so far, show average 3.86 rating across all the, uh, all the matches there. You know, it's, it's well clear of the second best show day, day 11 on 3.62. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely one that's, uh, give us that little boost um, just as we needed it there I think in the tournament and um, certainly the um, as, as you look at something and you think oh I might go back and have a look at this again as you're getting towards your you know doing your match of the year lists or when you're like reflecting on the tournament you know you're going straight for day 13 don't you mm, oh definitely yeah and you know as I said this this week had my favorite match of the tournament with the A-Lock it's not actually this one but it came close like 
it had, any show that's got that Kota Ibushi Minoru Suzuki match on is going to be a winner by me. I went four and a half on that on Grapple. It's as high as I've gone. Um, the other there's another match that I, I went four and a half on from this week as well. But like maybe that's the ceiling in this in this in this no fans G one season. But yeah, I mean that's a five star match if there's a crowd to be, if the crowd is able to cheer and get involved a bit more because that was just like I, I could I was watching it I was thinking Gareth will be grinning to it to me on this one. It felt like a very Gareth match, like it was a fight, wasn't it? It was just, it was it was just a shoot fight. It was Kota Ibushi bringing out like his his kickboxing skills and trying to go back and forth with Minoru Suzuki and not for the only time this week Suzuki just being for me he's like the best character act, actor in wrestling. Like he's just I think uh, Mark Buckley put it best. He said on Twitter like the the best thing Minoru Suzuki does is his facials. Never mind like all of the great stuff he does in his matches, just the character work and the things you can read into in his face when he's you know no selling uh Kota Ibushi and then you know getting caught and having been kind of like forced to almost have to respect him when uh when Kota goes back and forth with him uh this for me was yeah one of the absolute matches of the tournament uh the match of the night for me but you know there's there's competition there so I'm not gonna argue too hard if you guys uh disagree but yeah I thought that was a particularly incredible and I'm yeah like I say guessing you love that one too Gareth oh yeah like absolutely that I was just looking at my ratings for the um for the tournament as a whole and that that for me was just stood out you know I think previously I'd had the Shingo Ishii match as my as my number one but this one just blew it away from me this is my easily my match of the the, the tournament so far you know I, I, they say I went four and a half on it so that was as high you know that was probably as high as I think you can kind of almost go in this 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 area I'm, I'm with you I think with a with a crowd it probably would have gone five. I think. I think it, it it just missed a couple of things because of that. But I mean, literally from the second it started, like as they like stood across the ring from each other, and it, it started like a, an MMA fight. You know, I think they were both just both in the stances, and I was just like, "Yes, here we go!" <laughs> like I was, I was so ready for it. And my God, they. I mean, just the way it was put put together, just obviously knocking lumps out of each other. But I think just the way, like you say, the the facials and the character work from Suzuki as well, like the points where like Ibushi had got the better of him and Suzuki was fuming, you know, and he's like, you know, pulling up, you know, absolute, you know, the angry faces or, you know, when like there was, there was, I think there was a, there was a moment where like Ibushi was mocking Suzuki. He was like just patting him with light kicks kind of thing. And Suzuki just got up and absolutely leveled him with one strike. And I was just like, yes, off the sofa kind of thing. It was absolutely everything that I want from a match like this. And uh, I just, I, I just think the way, like you say, it was a proper fight. They just, you know, knocked hell out of each other. It told a, a cracking story. And then I think just for, for me at the end as well, when, it like hit the Kamagoya and it was one, two, three, and like Suzuki's just lying there smiling, and I was just like, "Oh, that is just perfect! It's amazing, kind of thing." Because that's you know that's his character. He just loves it. He loves going to war with somebody like that, and even in defeat, he's lying there and he's out of it and he's defeated and he's just got a smile on his face because like he just knows that you know that's that's why I fight kind of thing, you know, the, the, the character of Minoru Suzuki, that's what, you know, that's why I fight even in defeat. He can, he can appreciate it. And, uh, I was absolutely just, I was just beaming at the end of it. He was sliding there smiling and, and so was I absolutely class. Brilliant. Do you, what do you give it JP? I gave it four and a half mm-hmm. like you guys. I mean, um, I, I, 
it's funny because we're going to talk about the other match that I've given four and a half to in this tournament as well that was on the same card. I mean, because oh. I, 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 I loved the, um, I loved the main event, mm. um, uh, Akada Shingo. But at the same time, like, yeah, this was just incredible. I and mean, I heard it described as a fight scene and I can kind of see the reasons for that. But it was just, it was what you wanted out of both of them in, in many ways. And particularly like kind of Minoru Suzuki's had like a really good tournament so it was like the year off last time and we were all thinking well is that the point where he, he's not really up to doing a g1 again and that being the case it's like fucking hell no hmm. like he can do a g1 he knows the match that he can work and, and and everything else with that um i i just watched this i was i was captivated i just kind of forgot about everything else that was there and just sort of threw myself into a great g1 match hmm. um and it 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 yeah, completely delivered for me. And I agree generally on the whole in this era, like you've got a crowd going absolutely batshit over that. You are probably going the full five because that's the kind of last intangible that's missing. Yeah. What, what did, what, I know you said you gave them both four and a half, but would you put it above Shingo Okada? Like I gave Shingo Okada 4.25, mainly because I just don't, I don't like seeing wrestlers sell for that fucking money clip. Uh, I know like... Ah. I was, I was hoping the story was going to be Okada realises the move is terrible and stops using it. But I think the story's actually been, oh, he's learned how to do it now and dudes like Shingo have got to sell for it. Maybe that's like the subliminal thing that made me knock uh, a 0.25 on it, off it. But I, I love that too. But did you prefer that or the, uh, or the semi-main? I probably preferred um, Suzuki Ibushi, mm. if I'm going to be honest, in terms of it just being the kind of style that I like. I think it was, I'm kind of, I'm all in on the Okada story. And there's a couple of different readings of that. I'm kind of possibly going, I could be wrong. One, it looks like this money clip is actually a good setup for the rainmaker. Hmm. If he can do that and like wondering whether or not. Yep. Yep. And, and that, that might be a way to go with that. Also, I mean, I don't know. I might've just read this somewhere. The idea of it being the challenge is not to use the rainmaker. And in some bizarre way, I enjoy the fact that the crowd get deflated when he does when he does start using the money clip because they do get deflated because they're kind of reacting as to how you want so it's a question of when does he bust out the rainmaker is it going to be in the osprey match is it going to be in the final you know where where is it going to be because that has to happen that's the whole thing that's kind of contingent and all of this working and hopefully some gold boots if i can also throw that in there as well can you can you imagine when he does it the right when he hits the rainmaker wherever he is he's going to go off its fucking box isn't it like that's all i was thinking like at the end of this because there there was there was that element of tease again with him you know holding the wrist again in this in in that one there with 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 shingo and i was just thinking yeah it's going to get to the point where there's somebody who is not going to be able to put away with the money clip and then he just has to go back to it and like what a moment that's going to be can't wait (laughs) It's got to be huge. Like, I mean, we're jumping around a little bit, but I thought, like, day 15, I almost thought he was going to do it with it with Ishii. I kind of thought, oh, is he, is he going to pull this out? Is this the moment? And now I'm like, okay, is he going to pull it out with Osprey? You know, is he going to pull it out, you know, there? Is he going to pull it out in the final? Like you say, it's going to be such a big moment, isn't it, when he when he actually does it? Um, yeah, and, and yeah, he's a... He's a worker, Okada, isn't he, to the core? Like, this has been a... It's been a story he's been telling, and it's, you know, it's it's hurt some of us matches, I'm not going to lie. You know, there's going to be... There's been matches in this tournament where, like, you know, the potential was a lot higher than what we got, but 
you know, he's dead. It's like the balloon thing again. He's dedicated to telling this story. And I think, to be fair, that Shingo match was an example where you can tell that story um, and still deliver a great match, as was the EC match as well on uh, on day 15. But, yeah, and I think I've uh, I've slowly come along to that story as well. But it, it also feels it plays into the bigger kind of storyline with Okada generally, which is what happens to him when he doesn't have the IWGP title. Hmm. Or he's not involved in that picture. Is he kind of doesn't know what to do with himself. And it's like he overthinks it. So it's like he's convinced himself he can't do it with the Rainmaker anymore. And we kind of saw that over the years where the rain, more people would kick out and it'd take multiple Rainmakers to win a match. Mm. And at this point thinking he needs to go to a money clip move. And I could be enormously overthinking it. But the great thing about New Japan generally when it's on fire is that's how in deep it makes you think mm. because everything has a kind of meaning to it. And there may be red herrings thrown along the way. There may be stuff that we're kind of overanalyzing with it. That's kind of the reward. You're not getting that from the from the draft. No. You can just throw that out there, you know? It's like you're getting it. <laughs> hence why it's the first time we've mentioned it. Mm. I can't think of a more pointless kind of event, which is absolutely not worth investing anything in at all because it doesn't mean anything. So they're going to appear whenever because of the lunatic. But in New Japan, you're getting into the complete micro details of characters like and it's these things that kind of add to it. And it's the, you know, you see him put the money clip on, first of all, and it doesn't work. And mm. and it's like the kind of everyone is thinking there's the hive mind there of going, well, he's going to you should go to the Rainmaker then. That's the thing that will actually end up winning it for him. He needs to kind of, you know, get over the mental hump of doing it. And that's the kind of involvement I had in this match. So, yeah, it did take me by surprise. And I can understand the kind of, like, why even at the very end, like, it, you know, I thought his, his selling of it was absolutely incredible. It, Ishii's, it didn't feel as convincing. Mm. That's, that's, that, that was the thing that kind of took it away for me on that match. Yeah, I can um, see what you mean. It feels just feels wrong, doesn't it? Like, because that was the thing, like, earlier in the tournament where people were kind of just stood non-plussed in it um you know uh who was that was was that um oh i can't remember which match that was with that tai chi but he's kind of just stood there and, and like yeah. <laughs> looking like what is this move like what is going on um and you know the obviously yeah. they protected suzuki from it as well it feels it does feel a bit odd for like you know a shingo to have to sell it or an Ishii to have to sell it and and make it a you know a convincing you know move in a match when you know Ishii's throwing much bigger bombs in, in that match and you know it just feels a little bit from a kayfabe point of view for it to work feels a bit off but yeah I, i've got every confidence this story will pay off and it'll be uh and it'll be well worthwhile um i mean might as well mention that match as well i gave that one um 4.25 as well uh where, where, where did you go on the, the two um big okada matches from this week gareth were you as high as jp on the uh, on the shingo match or did you prefer the ishii match I mean, I gave I think I gave four point two five on the on the Shingo Okada match, so I just marked that down slightly from the the Ibushi Suzuki one that had just come before it, and I've kind of like like note to self go back and watch it again, really kind of thing, because I think I was on such a high as well from mm-hmm. that Suzuki Ibushi match that kind of. That was all I could think about. And then I realized I was eight minutes deep into the Kardashian-Go match and I'd kind of, you know, I, I wasn't as invested in in, in that as I, as I probably should have been at that point. Um, so, so I'm like definitely, although I although came out of that one feeling like, you know, I really enjoyed it. It was a fantastic match. I think as I like look on the app as well and that one, the Shingo Okada currently has a 
4.52 average and it's, it's so it's the highest rated match of the whole tournament so far and it's wow. the only it's the only match of the tournament that's gone over four and a half stars you know okay, okay it's five point it's four point five two so it's just a touch over four and a half but it's the only one that has so I kind of I'm quite intrigued to watch it again just with a bit fresh eyes when I'm not quite on that um Ibushi Suzuki high but um you know it, it was it was it was obviously really good but I think you know I think the the Ishi match I gave a four to and I felt like when I was watching that, I felt like that was closer to an, a, the feel of an Akada match, you know, the Akada match kind of thing of, of any match of the tournament so far. And it kind of, I almost felt like it came across that there was an element of like a, a step change in Akada or something. And then, I don't know, it was like he was... It was like he was he was warmed up and he was confident in himself again, or he or he was he was going for it a bit harder or something like that because it was the end of the tournament. And I think the way like he applied that final money clip, it looked like the most convincing one that I've seen him put on and things like that as well. So I just kind of that in that match, it had a feeling of like Akada finding himself a bit more, you know, and just almost peaking at the right time as you're going into the you know the final final day and hopefully two days of the tournament for him really sort of thing so but you know again I thought that was a I thought it was a really good match I thought I thought it was good that to me it was it felt like Ishii worked slightly different in this one as well like I think he he gave he gave a good impression of somebody who from a kayfabe point of view has had the tournament wars have caught up with him almost kind of thing. I think that came across that he was he was run down and he's been through the mill and, you know, he, he couldn't quite hang at the level maybe that he has done earlier in the tournament and things because he's, you know, he's picked up a knee injury here and there and things, you know, the way he was selling and things and and, and, and the way he worked. You know, I think that sort, of, that sort of worked in well as well. So I think for totally different reasons, this one was almost as good a match to me as the as the other one, but um, it was definitely for like as I'm as I'm looking and I'm thinking of Akada's, you know, I'm thinking of Akada's tournament as a whole. You know, it certainly feels like a far cry for me from you know some of the you know I don't know the the Suzuki match earlier on, which wasn't you know it was it was fine, or the Taichi match, you know, and the the Cobb match and things like that, where there was a lot of sort of early to mid three star matches there really that just you know he was doing the job and getting the result and and, and you know move on to the next next i felt like we had the the real card now as we, as we get into the tournament's close yeah and i think by design that's by design again isn't it that's like the story he's telling that's what he's going for um so yeah it really works for me as well what do you give that one jp uh, I gave that one four stars, but that's probably because I've kind of crammed it in. Um, yeah. Uh, when was it? Yesterday. So it kind of makes me want to go back. But there was stuff from that that I de- definitely did notice in terms of that that transition off- offense. Mm. There were things like hitting that drop kick that bit bit sweeter. But then there were moments where he tried the drop kick in the corner and Nishi completely just no-sells it and jumps <laughs> down. So there is that stuff where it's not quite – some little bits aren't quite working, but there's the general – it had more of a pace to it as well which is what those early matches didn't have so there was this kind of like ring rust it's not ring rust obviously but they're kind of like he's just stumbling out of the blocks early on mm. and it's just sort of making his way up the card a bit like gareth in the g1 pickums <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting there thought you might bring that up hey, hey gareth you're not too far behind jp you're not that far <laughs> you're closer than me at least uh, you're still second jp 
Yeah, second tonight after like my fourth four out of five day in a row. Wow. Um, for this one point off the lead, um, Miguel Calimary, I think his name is. Good grapple to uh, him. It's it's good luck to good him. Lad. Not that much luck. I'm not completely lost the plot. Um, <laughs> but I think what's he gone for? Is he gone for? He's gone for a card. A Sonata. Oh, fuck. Um, so it all kind of hinges. I don't want it to come down to the kind of how many seconds if that final comes down together, because that'll be gutting. <laughs> After seeing the Republic of Ireland lose a penalty shootout this week, I could really do without that as well. Um, yeah, still second, still yes. like kind of cautious. Did find myself reacting to certain things, like again, Yujiro Ibushi when they kind of tease it. I like, fuck off, don't you? even start doing that shit um yeah there's a lot on the line here jp yeah there's a bit more investment there isn't it <laughs> you know it's not the 15 grand g1 pick that i talked about many times by which point i don't think i'd, I'd be able to do a podcast <laughs> i'd be sitting there i'd be going can i cash out is that all right <laughs> 500 quid at least <laughs> uh, you do a mess with me mate i was going to mention it later but yeah in the yeah. in the post pickums at one point this week i was top uh, and now I'm like third from bottom in the in the C block. Um, so yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm a couple of. It, it's still possible I could pull it back, but it's not looking like it it's at this point. But as long as I beat who's the robot, top, I'm yeah, I was gonna say where, where's where's um Rando Bot? Well, Rando Bot is second from bottom, and Mark Buckledy, who's been doing doing the uh, the post uh, C block the post uh, B block reviews, he wasn't actually mm. listed as part of the C block, and they added him this week, and he's jumped right up to join first, which is just like. He's just jumped in last minute and he's uh, kicked us all to the back of the queue. There's only like two points in it though. There's like, there's nothing there. So it's still possible. Um, but yeah, I, I can't see, uh, I can't see me pulling it out at this point. Um, and Paula know. Heyman, is she doing well? Paula Heyman? No, uh, Paul Vivian Murray, I think, is uh, at the bottom or second from bottom at this point. Oh, but, right. Know, she, she could come back. She could come back. I believe in her more than I, uh, well, I believe in myself. But Like Icarus, isn't it? Flying too close <laughs> to the sun, really. <laughs> That's it. I mean, I'll, I'll, to be honest, a lot of my like contest wishes come down to like who I had going through to the finals. Like I was close to picking Jay White and I went with Okada, but I've got Jay, Jay White like winning all of his matches in this end period. So, you know, it, it, depending on what everyone else has got, it might still uh, might still come off. But yeah, I've been hard cheering for um, Okada and, uh, and Jay White this week. Uh, so like, that little bit of extra investment does help. Um, I was going to mention that too, fair. Like if you go through like the other people, like from the A block who haven't really touched on, we, we've got to talk Jay White's week like that. I, he had basically like, Again, you know, WH is going to hate this uh, continued loving of uh, of Jay White on this podcast, and we're going to be when we do our final review uh, on Sunday night, we're going to have Steph coming on to do a a victory laugh. Whether whether Jay White wins or not, uh, I think she's there. Talked a lot of people onto this uh, this Jay White bandwagon, but talk about like three character matches he had this week that I just I enjoyed all three of them for different reasons. Like he had that on uh, day eleven, he had that Tai Chi match where like. That that little shot of him in the corner where when Taichi was singing along to him and it's like Jay White's like his his biggest fan. That was really entertaining. Uh, the Yujiro match, like we mentioned earlier, was it wasn't really a match, um, but it was still you know it was good. I thought enjoyable character work, a nice break from a real like work rate heavy show. And that Minoru Suzuki match on day 15 was just like, we said earlier about those Minoru Suzuki facial expressions. And if anything, I did think maybe Jay got a little bit dwarfed by Minoru Suzuki in that one, just because Minoru Suzuki is such a strong character that like 
as strong a character as Jay is, like Suzuki's been doing this for years, you know what I mean? And it was like, if anything, my eyes were drawn to Minoru Suzuki like throughout that match more than they were Jay White. But he still played his part in that match, and I thought he was great as the the shitbag trying to get one over on Minoru Suzuki and Suzuki like being the genius he is in in some ways selling for him, but like never like losing that credibility that he's got and kind of you know keeping him himself strong as well as you know playing along with the you know the ghetto shenanigans i, I still don't like uh in these matches they are the uh the couple minute period where i, I go back off jay white and i'll i'll sound like uh like joe from 2019 but uh it, it wasn't enough to like kill the match for me um but yeah and i really enjoyed that one i went 3.75 on that and i thought while not a big work rate week i thought uh jay white had a had a really fun week as far as like three different matches compared to uh everything else in this a block yeah i mean oh, so yeah i mean the that jay white usual one i i loved it i was i was seeing a lot of hate on my twitter timeline and uh our friend andy ogden definitely wasn't a fan of uh, that one i think he went 0.25 on the app with, uh, oh, wow. with that one that one Why? he wasn't he wasn't wasn't, enjoy, wasn't enjoying that one at all oh, but andrew oh uh, i am um, uh, I, 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 honestly for a little bit of storytelling there i i absolutely I, I just loved it i just i just it, talk about just adding that extra element of shitbaggery to Jay White that he's, he's got that Yujo's lying down for him and he's there and he's going to take... But in, in his trackies, at his red trainees. He, he just still he, he still has to do the one counts and pull him up and things like that and just, you, you know, he just and then end up like pissing Yujo off and, you know, just... It just again that extra element to the to the Jay White character that even when he's got this on a plate for him, he still has to be a massive cunt to somebody who's in his same stable who's doing him a you know doing him a favor and uh, like then you know nearly getting caught out with it. You know the way the the match went from there. Like uh, I absolutely loved that. I thought it was such a good little just wrinkle plot development in this Bullet Club story where everyone's, you know, I think you were talking there before, JP, about like the thing about New Japan making you think. And I think that's that's a good thing. There's so much speculation. You, you're looking at all these different ways that things could happen with Bullet Club or, you know, d- um, different ways in which fact- the factions might split and things like that. And even if it's wrong and it's bollocks kind of thing, at least it's something that you can think about and like have that depth of you know, look at a small element of nuance in a match and think, does it mean something? And if it doesn't, then who cares kind of thing. But then if it does, at least it's got you thinking about it and you're, you're actually like considering the possibilities where, you know, that's that's part of the fun to me is that you're, that you're able to, to do that as opposed to, like you're saying, with the WWE where there's just no point thinking about it because they're not even thinking about it. So you know that then whatever whatever happens is going to be be random. But I just I just thought just as a little plot device that was that was awesome. And then likewise, Benno just thinking about the, you know, I'd said last week as I looked across the lineup for these next six, six days that Jay White Taichi match was one that I, just from a character point of view I was really looking forward to. And I just think for where both of those have really turned the corner with with me and my eyes in, in in this again it was just a, it was just another one of those where it was just a real fun watch watching the way their two characters interacted acted as just the big pair of shits that they both are and then just uh, looking at the way they, they they worked through that one again it was brilliant it was brilliant development and then obviously the the Suzuki match as well you know I, I probably agree to some to some extent that Suzuki dominated him a little bit there. But again, I just think 
it was just a perfect opponent for White, just with his little, just little small little things. You know, it's it's always just a little poke here, just little bits of cunning kind of thing. It's a mm. it's a little chop block here, it's a little poke here, it's just a little grab here, just little things that he's doing kind of thing that he's cutting that corner, he's getting getting himself out of a sticky situation or something like that, and cheating to do it or taking a shortcut to do it as well. And it's just a, it's just those little things that all building up i think those three matches were just a great sort of showcase really for where he's for where he's got to and then and then um yeah i think at, at the end it's just left you thinking yeah looking forward to this one and, and seeing how it goes Definitely. yeah i would echo a lot of the thoughts on that i mean just a couple of points i i kind of thought about it at the time i think it was probably when watching the suzuki match saying he's done so much character work it would suggest that really the next stage of where he's going next is going to be more character based, which doesn't to me suggest he's going to win the G1 necessarily that it's, it's the evil route. And I don't know if you saw the post match with ghetto after the Ujiro match. And he's asking ghetto, do you know anything about this? And ghetto rather unconvincingly is saying, no. And like it's, and so, yeah, it just feels like obviously we're, we're getting to that. And But what has happened is there's been buy-in from the fans, like a kind of genuine buy-in from the fans, even to the point where they applaud the two sweet on the reg. Like, and that kind of stuff suggests that he's, it's like the crowd are enjoying him, which would then suggest, I mean, it's something that we mentioned at the very start of it, the thing that I kind of thought was going to possibly happen is him turning face. And it just feels like all of this is leading to that. Like, it, it really is. I would say, I mean, the thing that we're kind of missing overall from Jay White, the things that to kind of truly cement him is that, well, it's two things really. One is that kind of almost that big career-defining feud that kind of elevates him, that's worth worth investing in. Evil, but yeah, then that's it's all, what's coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's going to yeah. be the one. <laughs> King of two and a half to three stars himself and fucking silence, I might add. And he's a great comparison piece. He is. Because I, know, I don't hear any fans reacting to anything he does nothing at all and it doesn't it feels like he doesn't know and at times i think we probably felt that way about jay white and it's like it's kind of clicked on that front Hmm. so the thing that we're waiting for the thing that kind of elevates like the kind of like good character wrestlers who are who are very good in the ring either other kind of classic series of matches which is the next stage for jay white to kind of in my eyes for me not that it means anything but for him to really kind of cement himself. Yeah. So it's and, like, and that was that, one of Joe's big complaints, wasn't it? That was like Joe's biggest thing. Like this is new Japan and you've got to be able to deliver on that, you know, four and a half to five star level. I argued last year that Kota Ibushi match did that for me, but you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, maybe if we get a baby face J run or a lone wolf J run without ghetto in his corner, I feel a bit more confident he can do that. I do feel like he's put those little things between the the bullshittery and the as WH will show, you know, stroking his evilly stroking his mustache. And there is there are still parts of that that Jay will do. I do think he's improved, like as far as like I think his offense is a little bit more dynamic and you know, he doesn't have those dead points in his matches. Um I think we're seeing the progression. And that would be at yeah, the next stage, wouldn't it? Hopefully we get, you know, a killer match like that. It won't be with evil, but you know. Hopefully with someone. Um, it, it's just that we always think, and I think at times it is understated about like how important the big matches are and the match quality thing is. Their golden period kick-started kick with great matches. Hmm. Like, le- lest we forget, yeah, the characters and everything else, but the 
the reason why Okada got to the level he is is delivering the kind of big matches. The reason why Tanner is where he is is because of the big matches, and Ibushi can deliver those big matches. So it's that is the high bar mm-hmm. that you're kind of aiming for, which when we get onto B block feels like it's sadly missing. But, <laughs> well, before we get there, lads, uh, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, might as well talk Will Ospreay's week a little bit, because he's kind of pretty much out of the running at this point, but he's, you know, they've kept him strong through mm. the tournament. Like, I, I completely know I'm out on an island on this one. I checked the grapple ratings and I was very disappointed. But generally, like, I mean, genuinely... Osprey Monroe Suzuki was actually my favourite match of this week. And I love those other matches we've just talked about. I went four and a half on Grapple, and I'm way above the average. And I know that. It's a taste thing, I think. 3.81 is the average for that one on uh, on Grapple. I think it's like, it's me and it's Joe Lanza who was screaming from the rooftops about, about that match. I listened to his, uh, his daily audio not long after I'd watched the match. And I wonder whether, like, how excited he was. Maybe punched me up from a 4.25 to, to a four and a half with that match. It does just seem to be us too. But I absolutely love that match from day 11. Like, that was, for me, was, like, pe- per- perfection, really, as far as that kind of match goes. Uh, and I see people pick on Osprey as far as his selling goes and him being consistent with it. And, you know, Suzuki was working over his uh, his arm through that match, wasn't he? And, it, you know, I thought Osprey did a perfect job of selling that. And a perfect... Even down to the finish, when it's the Stormbreaker at the end, I literally saw, like, some knobhead on Twitter having to go at Osprey's selling and in the same breath going, oh, yeah, and he didn't even hit his finisher right. And it was like, didn't he didn't his finisher right? Because... He was selling his arm. That was the whole point. Like, and I know you can maybe criticise that he still goes for springboards and stuff, but I always think he does a good job of selling it after the fact. And for me, it was another example of what I've loved about Osprey in this tournament. I don't think his big, flashy matches have maybe given me the 4 and 4.75 star feeling that I was hoping for out of them. But the matches where he's slotting into other people's styles have been my favourite matches of those styles in this tournament and just something about that Suzuki match really clicked for me. It kind of felt on a level with that. Remember that AJ Styles match from 2014, was it? AJ Minoru Suzuki, where it was a complete Styles clash, you know, part mm. of the fun. <laughs> um, but it the really finger worked. match. Yeah, and it got like the Observer like match of the year that year because it was so... It, I don't even think it was the best match in the G1 that year, but it was different enough that kind of it stuck out in everybody's memory at the end of the year. I kind of feel like that about this Osprey match. And yeah, I know you guys are probably going to be particularly lower on me on it. And I've seen a couple of grapple ratings that have come in significantly lower than me. But yeah, it was a real, real highlight of the week for me as far as yeah, the work of the two of them in the match. And it was just one of those matches that really connected with me. And for me, my favorite Osprey match of the tournament. And, you know, probably my favorite Suzuki match of the tournament. But, you know, I wouldn't argue too much with uh, with people who went with uh, the other great Suzuki matches from uh, this week and previous weeks. Uh, either you come anywhere near me on it. Uh, I'm guessing no one went above four. But, you know, it was a very Benno match, uh, I will say. I, I, I mean, can't for... remember it. Oh, no. <laughs> Sounds fucking awful. G1 season, mate. You've got G1 I was brain. checking my notes. I was like... <laughs> I was like, what's this fucking match he's on about? It's like, <laughs> did I see it? I know I did. So I sat through everything, including all the fucking C-block matches. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, I feel, I feel like I should go back and watch it. And this might be like where snow blindness turned into fucking snu- like blizzard blindness. That's like, I just like can't remember it at all. So I'm happy to go back and watch it. I, I've gone to my rating, which, um, yeah, apparently I've done it on here. Um, and I, I've gone, huh? What do you I've give gone it? three and up. 
three and a half on it. Oh no, an all star apart. But I can't remember it. <laughs> does the rating does the rating happen if the match doesn't exist? <laughs> Oh, it's weird. It's weird though because I'm like I'm literally the same as JP on this. I was literally going to say the same thing there, um, just as he he spoke. Heathens. I'm, str- I'm struggling to remember it. Like, and I have, like, I've I've given it three and a half as well. As I'm like looking at my notes here, and like the only things I've noted here are the selling by Osprey, and and when you do talk about that Benno, and certainly at the end, like when he's he's hit the finisher a bit clunky, and then like st- selling just after the finisher kind of thing. That was something that I noted has been been good and I liked. The the only other thing I point I've made here and, and I can remember look reading it again is just Suzuki just working at that pace when it really sped up and just thinking like, fucking hell, look how old's this guy and he's in the middle of a tournament and he's is still like hanging at that pace with Osprey, you know, in the in the prime of his life, um, sort of thing. But out outside of that, it definitely hasn't made a it hasn't made a dent on my consciousness, and I think you know three and a half kind of tells the tells the tale there. As I'm looking, I'm looking here on the app, and it's it's the twentieth best match in the tournament based on the based on the average ratings. So um, I don't know. You're uh, clearly it's uh, clearly it's uh, it just connected. Uh, yeah, connected with you, and that's the that's the thing, isn't it? That's the that's the whole kind of the whole point of it, isn't it? Some some of these matches connect differently with with different people, and you you take out of it what you what you can. But yeah, um, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll do the same as JP and go back and watch it when I'm, I'm I'm less snow blind, and I might get a bit more out of it. There you go. Underrated little match, I would say. Didn't even go 15, but I just thought it was perfect for the 15 that it was. Um, I float up between 4.25 and four and a half, but I'd say like if if I don't if I haven't sold your on going four and a half on it, listen to Lanza's audio that day where he just he completely just gets so impassioned about it and like was so into that match like like I was. I haven't I haven't heard many other people like even like you know Ian Hamilton who like I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying can be a generous star rated. He went 3.75 on it, so I, I knew when I read that I was like yeah. Yeah, I'm out on my own here a little bit in the uh, in the woods with this one, but I just love a good match where you've got a flyer taken out of his element and pulled into like a little technical match, like a cl- clash of styles. It is my, like my favorite thing when it when it comes off well, um, and yeah, it came off well enough for me, but obviously not everybody else. Uh, I'm not on grapple either, but I'm guessing did you guys prefer that Tai Chi match? Then I went three point seven five on that one, but that was uh, that was one I heard a lot of people rave about uh, in the week on day thirteen. You had that Jeff Cobb match on day. 15 as well uh osprey which if if it hadn't been for the ishii match that would probably be like jeff cobb's best performance of the tournament for me like that was a match where it was just it wasn't i would kind of say the sum of its parts didn't maybe equal you know there were individual bits in the match where they went for really clever spots with like the where you know osprey would go for you know that where he goes for the dive on the outside of the cartwheel and cobb kind of caught him and dragged him out to the apron he went for a powerbomb spot there were lots of those great little creative spots in there that made jeff cobb look like the monster he should be Similar to mm. what happened with that Ishii match, but I just don't think the final product was uh, was quite as good as that Ishii match. But yeah, that was another one I I enjoyed this week. I don't know if you guys got any thoughts on uh, on any of those. I mean, for, for for me with the other the other Osprey things there. So you know, I did enjoy the you know I did enjoy the Cobb match. You know, and I mean, I'm looking at it. I'm saying I've enjoyed. It. I've given it a three point two five, but I think I just enjoyed the. I think I enjoyed that dynamic of the the Cobb like power advantage, and uh, uh, you know I think they you know really getting getting over the 
getting over the power coming to play, whereas Osprey's like visually looked as big and bigger than some people from a heavyweight point of view, you know, in this in this tournament. And certainly from like from a height point of view, it looked bigger than Cobb. I feel like they really got over the power side of things and like the stockiness of Cobb and, you know, he's okay. You, you know, you might be, you might be taller and you've bulked up Osprey, but you haven't got the same power as me. And I think, um, I think that was something that I, I really enjoyed about that, that match as a, as a whole. I don't think it probably had the, probably didn't probably have the length really to, to, to go beyond that. I think from, from my perspective, but then I think the, you know, the other match, the Tai Chi match, yeah, I went three point seven five for that, so I actually enjoyed that more than the um, actually Such enjoyed that more than the Suzuki match. But maybe that's just more of a reflection of uh, how much I'm, I'm enjoying, um, how much I've been enjoying Taichi. But I think one of the things that stood out there with Osprey across the three was, I know he's two of those. He was he was facing more heelish people. I feel like he's toned back this like arrogance heelish tendencies that he was shown earlier on in the tournament and i was kind of expecting it to maybe come back and come out a bit more against Cobb, but unless people saw something i didn't i don't feel like it did and so i don't know if there's been like a bit of a change in emphasis or direction there or maybe we're just reading a bit more into it because of feelings towards osprey and things at the time when you sort of seen him earlier in the tournament i don't know but it, it, it definitely felt like there was a bit of a mm. bit of a change there i mean on the on the Cobb side of things I think he's had, you know, towards the end of the tournament there. I think he's, I've enjoyed him a lot more as the tournament's come to a, come to an end. And I know he's, he's had matches there with Ishii and he's had matches with Osprey. And you know, it's pretty difficult to go out and have a non-enjoyable match with Ishii and a non-enjoyable match with Osprey. So that's in his favour. But I feel like, again, he's, he just sort of seems to have found himself a bit and I think this sort of strength power angle that they've been going with and I think it was the same against Akada as well he was on day 11 he was you know he was you know he, was, he looked really impressive I think he was just like tossing Akada about really early on in that match as well and I think as a uh, it's almost like when he's got his own thing to do with his own particular direction about what his character is and what he's trying to achieve I think it works better for him whereas I think in a lot of the earlier matches he was trying to almost like fit in around other people and try and work to other people's styles and um and it doesn't necessarily work as well so you know i think you know it's hopefully it's like a learning experience for him as well going like it going through a tournament like this that you know he can maybe like find himself a bit more and hopefully hopefully take it forward and have, have, have better matches further down the line sure uh jp any thoughts on that or the, the rest of the a block any other cleanup you want to do on a, on a highlights from uh, this last week I mean, yeah, it kind of mirror a lot of the thoughts, certainly on Osprey. And certainly your thoughts on, on seeing the opponents that he had over these last um, three shows. And they're all being kind of different. I mean, I love the Taichi Osprey match. I went four stars on that. Um, again, I can't quite think why. But there you go. It must have really, it must have really just stuck with me. But it's also like kind of Taichi as well. And it's it's like, say, it's that idea of Osprey being plugged into that scenario and having to kind of remember. Uh, react to it. The irony being is we saw them have that match in Altrincham on mm. the Strong Style Evolved show, and that was absolute shite. That was, and it was partly because they were both. God, yeah, I remember like, how disappointed def- I was with that. The fact that it yeah. was Tai Chi in there with Osprey as well, I'd forgotten yeah. all about that. And they were like de facto juniors, and you were like, oh, and and like Tai Chi's a terrible junior. He's an awful junior. Really, it sounds pretty harsh for it. Whereas, um. I think, it, you know, in terms of the other matches that he had, like I, I've 
you know, enjoyed the the match with Cobb, and I kind of mirror a lot of the thoughts of Jeff Cobb. Just thinking that he's kind of sounds really strange because he's obviously like kind of big power wrestler, sort of ex Olympian with all this kind of legit credibility to him, but he kind of feels soft at times. Yeah. And what's happened is just certainly over this last week, but there's just been that kind of a bit more sturdiness in his work. It's a bit more brutal. And I think it was kind of summed up by that um, suplex on Ishii where he kind of threw him across the ring as a kind of like, I remember watching that and you kind of wake up. But I think at times, sometimes the issue, especially say with the Jeff Cobb Osprey matches, it was the opening match and it was only 10 minutes and your expectations are kind of lower because of that. Whereas if it's third or fourth on that card, you're going to probably react to it in a different way because you're coming straight from, you know, the Young Lions match into that, which you've seen combinations on of for the previous 14 shows mm. by the time you've got to that point. So there's a, like, I think, I think I've, I've said at the very start, Cobb for me as kind of, he's progressed, he's moved up. Um, it's incremental. He's not going to be a main eventer in New Japan. Mm. But if you plugged him into a never title feud, fine. That's kind of really where it's at. He's been given a lot more in this tournament by them. It's a real show of faith in terms of points, mm. which suggests they've got plans for him. Um, of all the companies, they're the ones he's expressed the most kind of like excitement about working. And I think for them, he must be quite good to work with as well to bring back that, you know, we we've met him at shows. He's just like a kind of quite laid back guy, isn't he generally, which might be something that they kind of enjoy about him being there. Um, so yeah, he's incrementally gone up and I think we've kind of mentioned pretty much most people. I mean, it, uh, someone we haven't really touched upon too much and I would like to make, I mean, a Ishii's just been fucking awesome again. Mm. I don't know if we've gone into that enough Shingo as well. Um, and in terms of like, it feels very much he's sort of plugged into a kind of, Ishii pattern for the tournament and mm. some of these patterns I'm growing quite tired of I get why they're kind of doing it for this tournament but next year we'll talk about some the round top there's a lot of stuff I'd like to see freshened up mm. but for me Shingo has kind of plugged himself into that Ishii role and then I was thinking to myself well it'd be great to have him in the B block no where he'd be at least you're kind of reliable to have good matches mm. until evil turns up obviously <laughs> and so and it's and it's not to say that you know for me he's had that really good tournament, but at the same time he's up against a lot of competition for a lot of the kind of big matches and moments, and that's where you want that even spread, don't you, across the two blocks. Mm. Um, yeah. And Ujo's not been as awful as I thought he would be. Discuss. I think he's been equally <laughs> as awful as I thought he'd be, to be honest. But Gareth, really? talk, Gareth taught me round on it though that, that you know he fills a role, he loses his matches, he turns up, he goes home, he's fine. Um, I'd share your praise of Shingo though. Like again, we didn't even we didn't really get to go into it too much detail at the Kota Ibushi match. I went four stars on that. Um, again, another world, hot crowd, probably going higher than that, but. Yeah, you know, Shingo has had a, a quietly very good tournament, hasn't he? Um, and, you know, it's not over yet. Yeah, that was, the, that was the one absence that I thought there was, you know, that Shingo Ibushi match. I thought it was it was excellent. You know, I think it had a lot of similar qualities as the, the Suzuki match, you know, with, you know, big strikes. and But, you know, there was, I don't know, a lot more motion, a lot more pace at different points and um, like bigger, bigger moves as, as well. Um, but I thought, um, you know, it was... I think one of the things I just like took out of this and the more I thought about it was is is there anyone who's as 
as good a versatile wrestler as Kota Ibushi. That was kind of the way I've been left thinking this week from having, you know, really enjoyed that Shingo match on day 11. Um, you know, I think um, obviously the match on against Suzuki on, on, on day 13 was, was, was really good. You know, I look, look at some of the other matches that he's, he's had in the tournament and think about like how he's, uh, how he's worked different styles and things. I think you get a lot of like wrestlers at the top end when you're looking at people who you can rely on, like, I don't know, you, Ishii, you know what an Ishii style matches, you know what a Shingo match is kind of thing. Akada has obviously got his Akada match kind of thing. And, you know, when he k- kicks into gear, but, you know, the more this week, I've just been thinking more and more about how Ibushi can lend himself to so many different styles. And you, no matter what the opponent is, you, you don't necessarily know what the match is going to be like when he's going out, when he's going out there. And I, I think, um, I think it's just kind of testament to him really that the, that the tournament that he's, that he's had as a whole, because I think when you, um, when you break things down and you, you know, you look at, um, you know, he's had a four-star match with Suzuki, four-star match with EC, four-star match with Shingo. He's got, you know, it's a 3.97 with Jay White, a 3.92 with Osprey. They're all five very different wrestlers working very different styles. And, you know, Ibushi's having great matches with all of them, really. And I think, um, I think again, it's something that I just wanted to highlight, really, because I think it just, it just stands out that, okay, he, he might not be having the... Four star, four star, four star run that Ishii's got across the piece, but I think the way that he's um, is, is versatile about it really, um, really kind of sets him apart from a lot of other top wrestlers in the world. For sure. Um, yeah. Oh, go on, JP. I was going to add one on thing about Kota Ibushi again. It it still feels like, and it's going to sound strange because I completely agree with Gareth there, but it still feels like he's treading water to a degree in in new like. I, I suppose I'm waiting for the substantive thing to happen, which wasn't the Kenny Omega stuff that we thought we might get at one point in time. And I suppose at this stage, it's I would just like to kind of see it kickstart either the either the the inevitable match with Tanahashi or or something else, or just like kind of like a real run towards the IWGP title after this hmm. to kind of capitalise. I think on a lot of the the good matches and the reasons where. I kind of remember why I really like him. Yeah. Well, it might be coming because he's in the mix. Like, as far as, like, mm. this final day goes, I mean, I was just going to say, just as a very quick preview, I'm sure people will be listening to this as uh, the A-Block show uh, starts on Friday, but the big three matches to keep an eye on, uh, and they're in this order as well, Akada Osprey, Taichi Kota Ibushi, and Ishii J. White. Uh, there's a convulsed scenario where... Um, Osprey can stay in the mix but for all intents and purposes he, he's pretty much out of it but the basic scenario is uh, o- Okada beats Osprey it looks like he's going to win the tournament but then if Kota Ibushi beats Taichi Kota takes over from Okada as the leader of the block and then if uh, Jay White in the main event against Tomohiro Ishii wins he takes over from Kota Ibushi as the leader in the block so he's very much in pole position and is you know the main event uh, for a reason uh, and from a KFA point of view I think that works too is like you know is it definitely the main event the I didn't know if they'd set it out yeah they have they, that's the uh, the match order they've, uh, they've uh, announced today so you know uh, the, it, it makes it more dramatic I think because it, it will come down to that final Final, uh, that final uh, Jay White match um, against Ishii, who can upset anyone. I believe the Osprey situation is basically if he wins, Yujiro beats Jeff Cobb, Taichi beats Ibushi, and Ishii beats Jay, it causes a really convoluted three-way tie where 
you know, uh, it, it keeps them alive. Uh, it's a bit of a, it's a real mess. Um, but I, I can't, to be honest, I think if Osprey was really going to be a player in this final day, they would have given him the uh, the, the win today. Uh, sorry, on that last A block day. Uh, I think that's where Osprey uh, losing to Jeff Cobb is a, is a big uh, tip as to uh, probably what's happening with Osprey. But yeah, I don't know, guys, you got any, any thoughts on that? What, what, what should we expect to see on Friday? Could get that Ibushi push that, uh, that you're after, JP, but I don't know, something tells me we're going to get Okada, but uh, Jay White has certainly got to be a, a dark horse, and they have been setting up that evil stuff, so yeah, as we are, we're about to go into the B block, I think the, uh, there is a, an interesting scenario there that could, uh, could come at this A block. I wonder if they're going to do a storyline thing, but they seem to do that stuff generally at the final, don't they? Mm. When they don't announce the card, and I imagine we'll have all manner of people back on it in terms of juniors and the rest. So you wonder whether or not there'll be a larger bullet club faction there. Mm. Are they going to be flying people in for that? Um, I mean, I've gotten the Pickhams, a carder to mm. win. I mean, but I do see the lot. Jay White always seemed like the other one that seemed most likely to me rather than even Kota Ibushi, who they, they did last year. And I think whether or not they're going, you know, with the kind of what we thought was the, the obvious kind of lineup in the final as much as anything else, but it's at least with the Jay White stuff. And I suppose with bullet club and everything else, that is the thing that kind of lends itself naturally to it. We may even get a kind of ghetto interference backfires and Ishii wins, mm. which in some ways, like That'd be a nice payoff. Wouldn't it? I was going to say that would be a nice payoff and it's stuff that's kind of happened in recent weeks. A lot of that where the kind of ghetto stuff hasn't worked as well as it did at the start. And also, I think if Ishii gets that win at Budokan in a big match, in a main event for a G1, where he yet again is likely to be the kind of MVP of the whole piece, then that's good. That's like, a in, in and of itself, it's like recognition, isn't it, about how good he is. Mm. That, like, There's a confidence of like, yeah, we'll put that on as the main. Mm. Well, I'm liking the sounds of this because I know that I've tipped Ishii to beat White on the last day and I've tipped Taichi to beat... Uh, Ibushi and Okada to win. So if if it works out like this and we get that um, fucked up uh, ghetto interference, I'll be I'll be very very happy with that one. But I just think yeah, there's I think the way this has all all worked out there, and I think especially with Ishi White going on last, I think with the little teasers that they've been doing along the way from a Bullet Club standpoint, and like even I think in the in, in the last match of the day when after that Suzuki match, there was no like overt togetherness between white and ghetto after the bell you know i was looking you know you're looking for again looking for the details and things and the you know certainly after that like promo of the other day that they, they, they didn't seem to be together kind of thing so whether again whether it's a red herring or something like that who who knows but i think there's a there's plenty there to get excited about and i think certainly as you're looking at the the three matches there obviously if a card does then get the win then you know you really are looking at those last two matches and where we've seen tai chi his heel work and his, uh, I keep saying shitbaggery over the course of the tournament mm-hmm. kind of thing, really come to the fore. And then likewise with Jay White and the way that his character and his you know, work has developed over over the tournament there. I just think uh, it looks like it's all built into a excellent sort of crescendo there for, for A block, which is fitting really considering the, uh, the the standard that we've seen throughout because it's, it's definitely been the, uh, the highlight. And I think while, um, Everyone talked about like B block being the story block on you know on the sly. I think 
A block's ended up in the match block and the story block, really. And it's you know it's certainly the one that's filling me with a bit more intrigue than the uh, than the alternative going on on the the next day. Definitely, and I've uh, booked Friday off myself to to watch this thing live. I wouldn't have done it if it was a B block down. Uh, so that tells you how hyped I am for uh, for this scenario. And there's some interesting matches as well. Uh, as far as that final day goes, I think it's going to be a going to be a fun card. Uh, and yeah, it could go anyway, really. But yeah, I guess we'll see. And uh, the pickums are on the line, so it is a uh, it's very important to us too. Um, but yeah, I suppose you put it off long enough, lads. Should we talk about the speed block? Because <laughs> so we have to. There's some interesting scenarios, lads. Yeah, going into it. It's uh, Lij versus Lij versus Lij, uh, and I got told off by Sarah Grieve on BWE for saying Evil was an Lij guy, but he's still a fucking Lij guy to uh, to me. Um, yeah, this speed block, lads. I mean, I'm trying to get excited about it, but when you've got a week where genuinely my high, like my joint highest rated match of the week had Yano in it. So I think that tells you everything. And again, you know, we slagged it off earlier. I'm not saying these are two-star matches. They're just a lot of three-star matches and a lot of main events that don't deliver uh, for, for me personally as far as like big G1 main events. Big part of the fact is the fact that Evil's in two of the main events this week and Sonata's in the other one. Um, you know, if you're looking for your, uh, your LIJ loving podcast, uh, you're not going to be getting it from us. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm scared to say any highlights, lads, because uh, I think for me, if you ask me, what's my highlight of the week in the B block? Genuinely, it's that Zack Sabre Jr. Toriano match. Like that was probably mm. that was probably my favorite match this week. And that, yeah, I know there's been better work rate matches out of the B block, and there's probably uh, people screaming at me right now who, you know, loved, you know, Tanahashi's this work work this week with, say, Goto, or even that Tanada match from today, I've seen uh, a lot of people uh, rave about, mm. but, you know, we can get into those, but, you know, I want to throw it out there, I love that Zack Sabre uh, Yaro match, that was, uh, that was a big match for me this week, it was one I, uh, I really, really enjoyed, um, I think uh, Zack Sabre, Trying to keep it up with uh, with Yano's, you know, to borrow a phrase. I'll, I'll go with shithousery. Uh, Yano's shithousery uh, this week was uh, particularly good and getting his, uh, getting the other whole tape spot uh, worked against him. Uh, that spot where uh, Yano kind of tried to tie Zach into the uh, the guardrail uh, and then Zach was like trapped by like a, a, a steel chair and had to kind of like turn the steel chair to a side to get back in. I thought that was great. And I thought the finish was great with uh with Yano's medicine coming back to haunt him. Uh yeah it says Everett lads that I want to talk about that first, but that was my favourite B block match of the week. I don't know about you. <laughs> Best Yano match oh, of yeah. the tournament. I was I went three stars on the Yano scale. it's all over the place that scale is probably up four and a half. Mm. Like Particularly the belly to belly that he delivered. You kind of forget that's the thing with him. Is he's a great wrestler. He's got legit wrestling credibility. Yeah. But he doesn't do any of it because he's he works this character so perfectly. And and Zach is better at these comedy matches as well. I mean, I remember a Farley match where he did the kind of count out victory as well by putting him by kind of tying him up into a submission and sprinting down the stairs, knowing he could get in at fifteen and Farley wasn't going to get in. But I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And it again, it sort of sounds like the collective shows again. It stood out in a sea of three to 3.75 rated matches hmm. where a lot of stuff kind of falls into another. And I think there's certain little pleasures that I get from the B block. I think like there's, I've liked Kenta in this tournament, I have to say generally. And I probably had quite low expectations on Kenta. Um, I think we brought it up last week. Yoshihashi, 
like I'm saying it, he's going up from like basically on the on the on the reg from three point two five to three and a half quite <laughs> regularly now. I didn't see that situation happening. I'm not calling for him to all of a sudden win the New Japan Cup and the fucking title at Dominion next year or anything mad like that. I did think to myself, would Go Yoshihashi as a tag team be all right? Would we be okay with that? It wouldn't be team excitement, would it? <laughs> a couple of underdogs, of you know. But, a couple of scrappy underdogs, it works. But it's also, yeah, it's just sort of a block where again, bringing up, it's just like the kind of overall match quality is what's missing. And if you're not invested in the LOJ storyline... Hmm. Like, some people really are you, as well, we not, should say. Like, we're, we're negative, but there are people out there who love that stuff. It's, it kind of sums up the fan base. I know we did bloody round table on it, but it kind of sums up the fan base where there are those where it is the investment in the story, in the, in the LOJ story, and they're there with it, and those who aren't. I get why they do it because it's clearly very popular and they're a business at the end of the day. So you go with that. It makes sense. It isn't just about what I think. It's just that the matches grind me down generally. I mean, I enjoyed this Sonada Tanahashi one, but really that would be the best match I've seen Sonada in in the, in the tournament for me. And it, it feels like, you know, God, it, it, it is the likes of a Tanahashi is able to drag that bit more out of, out of people but you know yeah and it's just when you've got evil over the whole thing and the matches are shit they're shit like a lot of times it's two and a half I'm bored bored of Dick Togo I just think I'd sooner have you wrestling in it than him like in my fucking no than you (laughs) you kind of nodded when you said it because I'm up for it like you want to bring Benson Richards back (laughs) Benson Richards going from retirement to the G1. I'm game. <laughs> Look, There's a documentary in that, mate. <laughs> no, I can't. I Especially can the bit before day one where you go, right, I'm really out of my depth here. I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just work Sorry, the Yano mate. match every night. That'll be, uh, that'll be my schedule. <laughs> that'll be it. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I've gone into a load of stuff about the block because the matches in and of themselves, like, yeah. my God, like, they're just... It's what do you have to say other than they're generally okay to good professional wrestling matches yeah. with everyone doing their shit? Yeah, well, like five times over three different days, you know, it's just repetitive, isn't it? Like Gareth said earlier, like um, it's just none of these combos excite me. And like you said earlier, Gareth, it's like, yeah, okay, great. Uh, Juice Robinson's in there with Sonata. It's going to be another three-star match. It might as well be Yoshihashi and Goto. It doesn't. It just doesn't seem to make a difference in this block. And, you know, as you said there, JP, it's evil that drags it down for me. And, I, I again, I think maybe there's some bias there from me is just not... I just don't find him compelling as a human being. Like, never mind the wrestler. He just looks dead behind the eyes, dressed up in this Bullet Club gear that doesn't suit him one bit. Doing the shitty, you know, fake gay though stuff with uh with our make dick to go and just it just it just doesn't work for me. Like if I go through my ratings this week for evil, I went two point seven five, two point seven five and three. Like <laughs> and he was in the main event twice. Uh, and the the three was the match with Naito and I don't even you know it was 23 minutes and it was just it was a gentleman's three like I was just being nice I think on that day giving him three rather than 2.75 uh, yeah it's just this block just doesn't inspire me and I think he's the main reason 
I come out of matches thinking you don't deserve three. Mm. Like, really don't. And That's why I give and the, the 2.75 petty, but I, I like doing that. <laughs> yeah, taking that 2.5 off him. He's earned... <laughs> now, the thing is, I've not been as down on Evil in the past. Like, mm. there are times I've, like, I've enjoyed matches from previous G1s. It's just never been consistent. Well, now it's consistent. You can give it that. It's just consistently fucking shite, I, I'm finding at this point. And it's not like there's this heated crowd reaction that you can lo- that you can latch onto as well. It seems to be happening generally in silence. Mm. It depends on who the other person is and whether or not they're able to generate some heat. Mm. But it's not like he isn't in and of himself. And it's it just feels I like the music. That's where I am with him. <laughs> and you know, we've seen Naito go from someone who hasn't, you know, kind of no expression to being this incredibly charismatic wrestler. It's just when you come to Evil and Sonata, I'm thinking you're asking for lightning to strike three times here, aren't you? Not just fucking twice. And and you're asking for two of those lightning strikes happen at the same time. And at times it's hard not to look at Evil and Sonata and think, he's just bored. He's yeah. just bored of this wrestling lark. You just think, oh, fuck this. I can't be bothered. But it's good money. Let's do it for a bit. Yeah. You know, in which case, get a job in cyber. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, to, to to that point, I'm like scrolling down my notes here, just trying to like see if there's anything else to say. And like, I'm like Sonada versus Juice Robinson, and like the first thing I've written, Sonada's picking the sleep bef- from the eye his eyes before the match. What a good <laughs> kind of thing! And like, like literally, how bored are you that he's that he's even like looking sleepy going into his own match? You know, and it's just like it, that was just so like typical. Like, I'm looking. Kenta versus Sonada, like a perfectly fine, solid 10-minute mid-card wrestling match. Sonada wins three stars. <laughs> like, kind of, and, and like that is like, to, that is it again. It just like typifies, I think, the majority of B-Block. And as I'm, as I'm going down this, I'm looking for anything to jump out to give me something to, to say that's kind of a bit different. But everything to me just falls back on literally those two matches that we've referenced before. I think like the Yano-Zak match that was just really, really good, really enjoyable, really fun. And it wasn't just Yano, it was Zach playing his part with the mm. the human. Like I love, I think one of the things with the, the quiet crowd there was being able to hear Zach a bit more and, um, you know, it just, it just sounded like comedy Englishman kind of thing. Like when the refs tell him off for having the chair in the ring that's taped to his hand and he's like, why would I do that to myself? It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, just like, like just little things like that. They were proper, like making me laugh and, you know, like telling Yano, you know, I don't trust you. I'm not going to fall for that and stuff, you know, and just little, little things there that just mm. added to it and added to the humor. But one thing I will Obviously, I gave Sonada a hell of a slagging last week on the on the show. I've got a Sonada T-shirt on today just to show my support. Um, wow! Um, after those two terrible um, terrible matches, I referenced there, but the Tanahashi match, I would say, like I really, really enjoyed that today. Mm. Like I, I gave that four stars, and I think Fair it was enough. it was yeah. probably the the best pure match of B Block. No, that that to, to, to tell a lie, maybe like second best match of B Block overall, possibly. Nice, that you know. Really. I think it's you know it's it's it was one that Sonada actually felt a bit like motivated for, and he actually you know he he definitely had his working boots on today, and he definitely came with a bit more pace and a bit more fire about what he was doing, and and I know he's up against Tanahashi, and Tanahashi's just the fucking best, and he can pull it out of out of absolutely anyone, but I think the whole 
match structure start to finish just really worked i think the the, the back and forth between them the, the pace of everything i think it you know they definitely made you know even though you know you knew that you knew that Sonata's winning and you know that Tanash's tournament's over and things like that. There's still things I was biting on there and they still made you believe in Tanahashi and things like that at certain points. And, you know, I think Sonata held up and he did his he did his part, to be to be fair to him, um, on, on on that one. But I mean it's a sad state of affairs when you're thinking about you know, we're looking at this and we're talking about we've covered six days of wrestling there and, you know, across the B block, there's literally two matches that are kind of jumping out for two very different reasons and the rest of it is just falling into that three-star mush of, you know, some stuff happened that was remotely entertaining at parts, forgettable in others and kind of that's not what you want from a G1 really, is it? You know, you you should you should be getting one or two highlights at least every other day kind of thing really you're gonna have a great time putting the uh, the graphics together the the comparisons of a block and and b block for this tournament like i don't there's not always that huge a difference but i really feel like there's it's got to show up in the numbers because like i'm looking oh. at the averages and tanahashi sonata is close to four stars as an average but there's nothing else this week that comes even close to that um i saw people who were like goto tanahashi you know three and a half pretty much like there's yeah it's just the, the detail is going to be interesting to come through uh, in the coming weeks. Yeah, well, I mean, it, I mean, you can take it, you know, if you look at the numbers now, and obviously I'm mm. conscious that the last two days, there's still a lot of people catching up and things of, you know, numbers of still to come through. But, you know, right up to before today, you're still looking at, um, you know, over 100 people rating even, you know, day 15 kind of thing there. But you, you look at the best shows overall, 16 shows, the top eight are A block shows based on average rating, and the bottom eight are B block shows, which <laughs> kind, of, kind of shows it. And and I mean, I'll, I'll be fair; I haven't stripped Yano's matches out of those, but I think right. it's very, you know, it's very, it's very reflective. You know, there's there's a definite clear gulf there when it comes to the the quality of shows from a match perspective. But if you look at the best matches from the tournament as a whole. Like you look at the ten best matches, nine of the ten best matches come from A block. You know, they're literally there's Tanahashi Naito in there from day two from B block, and then there's not. You know, there's there's I think the next one after that you've got Naito Zack Saber Junior in in eleventh place, and then beneath that you've got a load more A block stuff there really. So you know, I think if you take the the top twenty, it's at least eighty percent of matches are coming from A block out of the top twenty matches as a whole, which is it's frightening really. Yeah, Especially right. when there's so much emphasis placed on Eve on this this storyline, this evil and Naito element kind of thing that's been brought into this block, and then obviously you know Sonada by proxy sort of filtering in there as well. You know if you think this is something that's been absolutely central to New Japan this year, and they make up such a significant proportion of that block, like God, that's poor. <laughs> it really, and, and those matches you're talking about, a lot of them happened early on. And that's why I think this Sonata Tanahashi match kind of stood out. So I went four stars on it because he just felt like some water in a fucking desert didn't it, <laughs> at times in terms of something that was better than the other stuff you'd seen because you'd seen so much of the similar things throughout. But it makes me worried for the final because it looks like we're getting Sonata or Evil. Um, uh, and honestly, they're going to have to pull their finger out of their ass mm. when it comes to the final. It's as simple as that. Because this shit ain't gonna cut it, and Sonata's gonna basically have to have a repeat, or it, or better, frankly, if he gets there against the Carter than the match he had with him at the last G one, where he won with like three, four seconds to go, which was 
the best match of his career by a mile. So they decided to repeat it five more times in a row. Where it felt like to the point of like, I can't watch this ever again. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's, it is the killer. Like ultimately the G1 is a match quality based tournament, mm-hmm. isn't it? I know there are storylines and everything else, but that's kind of the central hook is, is the great matches. And like Gareth, you just said, their main storyline involves two wrestlers who at best have one very good match, maybe a year. And we're faced with them having a main event against each other in a match with stakes at Budokan and then probably one of the two to the final because that's what they've been building to the entire time. Or else we're faced with a nightmare scenario where they go to a 30-minute draw where... I'm gonna. What I'll. What I would like to do is take a leaf out of Homer Simpson's book and put on those fake glasses. Uh, remember when he's in court and he's asleep the whole time. Which then I was thinking, do you know that's what Sonata's like? It's like he's permanently wearing those glasses and he's asleep behind a fucking mask, isn't he? And he's <laughs> occasionally wakes up. <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, could we get excited about these scenarios going into like the final days, like we do with the A block, like? I've looked at it, and that's basically what it is. It's three-way. It's evil, Sonata, it's Naito. It's, I think if he, if evil wins, he's through, uh, and evil is facing Sonata in our main event. Um, but yeah, if Sonata wins and Naito Fuck loses, me. Sonata's going through to the final. And if Naito wins and, and yeah, we get a Sonata win or draw, then Naito goes through. Um, it's the three-way tie, tie we all wanted, lads. I think I'm very much team Naito if I have to pick one. Um, but I feel like, I don't know, if we don't get that Jay White cave in at the, uh, the, at the end of the A block uh, and the ghetto story, if Jay White goes through, I think we're getting evil. Uh, and if mm. Carter goes through, I think we're probably getting Naito. Um, that's probably my guess, though. I don't know what you guys think. I think the inherent conservative nature of them means for me that they're going to go with a card and night out at the dome as a releg- as a reliable kind of old favourite. And that's the kind of bigger theme of this tournament is it still very much highlights New Japan's conservative nature. Mm. And it does make me think watching this tournament of how much of this we've kind of seen before, whether it's tropes, patterns, even some parts of the storylines, things like that. There's been, obviously there's, there's loads of really good stuff to it as well, but like at some point freshening it up Hmm. and yeah, doing something with it. So for me, I I, I feel like they'll keep, you know, give night on a night off Hmm. and do some shit with Hiromu, whatever. Yeah. I think that interestingly for me that on the, on the last day, the, the thing that's more the most intriguing to me is just the Kenta situation there because like JP saying earlier, he's enjoyed Kenta in this tournament. And I think he has been one of the B block highlights for me. Like maybe the the startling match quality hasn't been there, but I think the way that he's worked and the the I don't know, the way his character's been presented is felt a bit different to what he did 12 months ago. And I've, I've definitely enjoyed him more than I did 12 months ago in, in this. And I think, again, as we've you've got this whole Bullet Club scenario, I'm quite intrigued to see what role he, could, he plays into this situation with him going up against Naito on the last day. And is he going to do something that goes against, you know, Evil and Bullet Club? Is he going to do something favourable that goes with it, you know, from a Naito perspective that takes him out of the game or something like that? So I think there's that that element of intrigue there. But in, ter- in terms of the forward direction, 
I'm with JP. I'm totally expecting that it's going to be Naito Akada in the in, in the dome. And I'm, I'm you know I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I still think there's scope for the to get the IC belt off off Naito. I think given that he's lost matches to Sonada and Evil, I think there's potentially something there where because they've got the win, they're due a title shot, sort of you know, and maybe it's sort of you know the IC title's going up and not the world, mm-hmm. not not the IWGP, you know, but potentially and then you might be working towards like Sonata evil for the IC in the dome or something like that. I think there's I think there's some mechanics there that can potentially be be worked because I just I cannot for the life of me see Sonata or Evil headline in the dome. <laughs> just definitely not. You know, I think they'll be going back to to old faithful and I think it kind of makes sense a little bit with this um the way the I suppose the way the Akada storyline's gone as well, that he's, you know, he's bringing something a bit different um, as well, that maybe he does need something a bit different to to, to beat Naito on the big stage, you know, come come January as well. So, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see, obviously, there. But, I mean, God, you can hear the enthusiasm in my voice for this uh, Sonata <laughs> Evil main event of, uh, of B-Block. God, God help us. That's going to be a difficult day. I mean, luckily, I mean, all fingers crossed. Is Manchester is Greater Manchester in Tier Three yet? Has that happened? It hasn't happened yet at a time of recording, so you know, okay. in a still. Well, to be honest, I'm going to need those fucking beers with Andy <laughs> Ogden and, and Chris Linnae after watching it, like Evil versus Sonada. <laughs> oh, God, help us yeah. All. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not particularly appetizing, is it? But you know, maybe the lads will shock us. Maybe they'll pull it out on the final day. But I'm, they won't. If I was a no, better man, I wouldn't be betting for it. No, no. <laughs> I'm trying to end on a positive, but I can't. Yeah, it'll be on. evil smiling, a fucking silence, while the other fellow looks like he's dead. <laughs> there you go. It'll be, it'll be it'll be Sonata letting go of a submission hold on an unconscious man, so he can go and miss a moonsault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you'll be fuming yeah. in grapple towers, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. As I, as I was, as I was today, that that four star match could have been a four point two five, but he did it again. <laughs> uh, I was going to say as well. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, we're going to be doing our, our G one uh, final show on Sunday night with Steph, as I mentioned, so people can look forward to that for more G one thoughts. And we'll be doing our G one wrap up show as well, uh, like JP said, mm-hmm. as a, as part of a a special roundtable too, but. I mean, before we go, lads, I've got to mention it. Have you uh, have you checked your Twitter? Have you seen the big news today? Have you you're aware of what's uh, what's happened in the wrestling world? Um, JP, tell me right. if you uh, if you recognise this man, like this this video on Twitter. Ask William Wallace. I am the alpha male. He is I, and I am him. The alpha male is he, and he undoubtedly is me. Rewind, 2021 style. When I put this mic into my hand, you know it's going down. Any guess who that is, JP? It's your man. Monty Brown. Monty Brown is back. Lance Get Hoyt. fucking in. Lance... Not Marcus Corbon. <laughs> Lance Hoyt has shared this video on his Twitter 15 minutes before Dynamite. Saying the one and only Monty Brown is a murder hook from the Serengeti. And Monty Brown uh, cuts this promo, putting over Lance Hoyt. Uh, and endorsing him to be the uh, the next AEW World Champion. <laughs> the, he's wearing like a tiger like print like shirt. Alan Farrell is the the man who's uh, pointed this out. He's just tagged us all in a tweet. He's looking he's looking like a million dollars, lads. If Monty Brown comes back, I feel like the business is saved. 
mate, he's the <laughs> hero. <JP's> speechless. <laughs> at times like this, I'm genuinely speechless. I'm made up. I feel like Joe when he found out that time that Barry Grant was in EastEnders. He <laughs> 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 just completely lost the plot. Feels similar to that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, what kind of shape are we in? Is he in too cold Scorpio shape? He's out once a year. Is he? Oh no. He looks all right. He looks, looks good, but he's, he's good. grown his hair out as well and the beard. He, he looks a little bit Mr. T, I would say. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I don't know why he's singing. <laughs> no, I feel like you want to go out to the streets of Oxford and sing, JP. You look, uh, <laughs> you look positively delighted. Get in. Ah, <laughs> uh, like if he turns up on dynamite tonight, that'd be awesome. He won't, obviously. <laughs> but you need to get him in there. Hey, hey. Doing one-off match with Cody, TNT title. <laughs> Five minutes, wild shit. Monty Brown, yeah. Uh, well, Completely on board with that. Lance has tagged AEW in the tweets. Let's hope uh, like Big Tone takes notice and uh, and brings. He, it does, in. he doesn't forget where he's from, does he? <laughs> he doesn't forget. He doesn't. He doesn't forget where his his real home. Hey, football player, you know he's right. The asylum. <laughs> Point of mania. <laughs> he knows, yeah, he knows uh, he knows where his money is made. They were the uh, th- them two in Abyss were the highlights of those TNA years for me. Uh hype for Monty Brown, Gareth. Uh, I was a mo- you know what, when he was Marcus Corvon in WWE, like I honestly thought like he was can't miss. I thought WWE I thought Vince would look at him and go, ex football player, big lad, got a bit of charisma. Instead, like considering he was a not a Big time, you can correct me on this guy, like a big time famous NFL player, but he made it to a Super Bowl. Like Monty Brown's a name. Like, what? that was one of the ones where it's like, and you changed that guy's name and you just made him a random dude on ECW. And I know he disappeared into the wilderness because I think he was looking after like his brother's kids or something mm. like that, wasn't he? But felt kind of a personal trainer. Or something I think like that, that was the story. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he, you know, there was money there to be made, maybe. Uh, oh, bit, bit he, felt like, he, felt, he felt like a genuine star in TNA, didn't he? And, and he did. Didn't feel like a star when he went to WWE. I think uh, I think that changed I I definitely. Uh, you know, <laughs> that was a surprising change there that happened. But um, God, I'm just like I'm a bit like shocked, kind of just looking down the timeline here. Just looking at me, like when did we last even see him? Like it must like yeah. he's just. I don't even recall seeing a picture of him or anything for like. It, it must be more than ten years, is it? Like yeah, it's, yeah. It's like when uh, Perry Saturn went off the grid or like Bam Bam Bigelow. It's like, you know, I'm just glad. He looks better when Perry Saturn came back (laughs) with a Tyson tattoo (laughs) on an RF shoot video talking about just not remembering where he was for years. (laughs) <laughs> that's it and I, and I feel like he'll still be able to go so you know there's a well he, well he can still talk and he can sing as well I didn't even know he could sing so uh, there you go get get him on the mic uh, <laughs> add, him, was... add him to that AW roster of uh, good talkers he's one of the biggest what ifs for mm. TNA mm. if they'd gone with him it was like the perfect moment Yeah. double J though oh. there's your next round table JP Monty Brown well, we've got a different double J story, haven't we? A different idea for what, what, how how truly to cover double J and the Forrest Gump style universe, Carney Forrest Gump style universe that he's lived in, negotiating himself through wrestling history, and he's going to end up fucking running running like some part of WWE. Oh yeah, we're all going to shake our heads and not know how he's done it. Probably in fucking Batman. 
<laughs> loves Liverpool so much, probably flew over and has got a guest guest part in that. <laughs> I was going to say, like, yeah, this week, uh, Joey Ryan, the scumbag, suing Impact, isn't he? Trying to, uh, I think, it's getting ten million out of Anthem uh, for lo- for losing his contract, as if Anthem are going to have any money left after uh, Jeff and uh, and Global Force Wrestling uh, finally settle up that lawsuit. Uh, they chucked no away the tapes. <laughs> yeah, Joey. Jo- yeah, the, all it says is how desperate. Joey Ryan is. Yeah. That, that this is what's going on. <laughs> but yeah, uh, just to go back to the double, yeah, they shouldn't have thrown away the fucking tapes. Yeah. He'll win that. He'll he fucking wins. win it. Jeff he always, always wins. <laughs> he always wins. He gets knocked down, but he's never knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Well, on that note. <laughs> sorry, sorry I'm, just, I'm just conscious that you're just like looking at a big close-up of my face just with a big stupid grin on it as I'm just scribbling down my Twitter timeline just looking at all this Monty Brown love. Like, I just had this big dopey grin on my face for the last uh, three minutes. Aww. You need to make sure it's in the title so at least like there's a hint that we would have we, we, we know that this has happened. God bless Alan for You have to wait a out. long time, don't you? You have to get through some hardcore B-block stuff to get to that point. <laughs> I'll tell I'll timestamp yeah. it. I'll timestamp it. I'll throw it in. But... Well, this episode is like Slumdog Millionaire, isn't it? <laughs> you, you look at the poster and you think, oh, Monty Brown. Nah, there's a lot of Slumdog before you get to the millionaire. There's a lot of B-block before you get through to the Monty Brown. <laughs> I reckon if we hadn't even known, I think we'd have like, we probably just came back on the call. It's like five to two right now. We'd like, no, we need to cover, we need to cover this Monty Brown story. Breaking news audio. Uh, fuck me. Real Fair news, story. mate. Where's Meltzer on this? Fucking nowhere. <laughs> Uh, Alan Farrell picking up the slack. Nice one, mate. Exactly. Um, before we go, then, like I say, we've got the G1 show coming Sunday night. Uh, anything else we want to plug? Like you said, JP, some uh, roundtable ideas uh, swimming round. But yeah, we've uh, we've got that yes. coming up too. Yeah, yeah, definitely getting back on the round uh, roundtable saddle again after like kind of trying to cram in in G1 mm. and uh, and an incredibly hectic job. So yeah, getting back onto that hopefully with with a couple of a uh, couple of those. Um, the first of which we're looking to do a kind of recap special roundtable as well. Um, but yeah, uh, keep an eye for that. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter, even though I don't really tweet that much. But JPGP three E's. When you do it, it's always good, mate. Uh... Exactly. I got to make it count, and that's the thing. <laughs> I'm playing the long game to take over that app. <laughs> uh, I'm just playing the Batman game, mate. Honestly, like my phone didn't stop for like two days when I did that. Uh, those sneak pictures of uh, of Batman and Cherry Lane. But uh, anything from uh, you? Oh, Goodison have changed when you said it's at the top. Yeah, right. Uh, you I, know, I knew it's fucking old. I didn't know it's that old. Dublin for Wayne Manor. It's very classy around where I live, JP, as you well know. Uh, anything from you guys? Do they dress up the Dixie Dean statue? Sorry, I'm interrupting. <laughs> Put like the Batman mask yeah, on the middle. Like, mate, it needs to be there, doesn't it? <laughs> There's money in that. I love uh, it. Uh, how about you, Gareth? Same as always. Download the app, uh, Google Play, App Store. Just search for Grapple App. Give us a follow on Twitter at Grapple App. Um, yeah, just keep your keep your eyes peeled over the next uh, week or so. We'll be throwing out a few graphics there, just summarising what's happened in the G1, and um, probably looking to just do a few more 
of the sort of lesser rated matches over the last couple of years. Sorry, last couple of months as well. Just obviously we're getting close to the end of the year and people are starting to think about their match of the year lists and all that. There's uh, quite a few there that probably flown under the radar as people have flitted in and out of wrestling and not watched certain uh, promotions as much this year or not watched as much wrestling this year as well. So if you're uh, looking for something to, to catch up before we get to December, there'll, uh, there'll be a few graphics heading your way. Definitely, yeah, check that out. Underrated matches like Minoru Suzuki and Will Ospreay. What a great underrated match that was from this G1. <laughs> Reach out to everyone. If anyone, if anyone was like a, was a, as big a fan of that as me, send me a tweet. Make me feel less insane. At Ben Richardy on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me there. Uh, I'll throw a plug in for, uh, for BWE this last week. Uh, we're now monthly with BWE. Mm. It was one of my favourite shows we've done in a while. Uh, me and Martin uh, with Sarah Grieve of uh, Eat Sleep Suplex from Sweet. Um, covering basically all of the news from the last month or so, some speaking out talk. Uh, I had a great time ranting about NXT UK. Uh, I felt like I bottled that one up for a while. DBS checks went on about that for a while as well. Uh, couldn't help myself. Uh, we had a great it's, def- time. It's, def- it's definitely my favourite DBS podcast. That one. <laughs> there you go. That's what, that's where you go for all the latest DBS news. Uh, British wrestling experience. Or well, wrestling. in fairness, I also like listening, like listening to the voices of DBS flagship. As well, uh, good quite, conversation. Quite, 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 yeah, we take a lot it's of podcast. <laughs> Speaking of Manchester based, Andy Ogden was on there that show as well. Gave us a, a great uh, recap of that Future yeah. Shock show. Apparently, they're still running Future Shock. I can't see that happening. Um, I think it's this weekend or next, but uh, listen to that for uh, for that too as well. Uh, but yeah, other than that, for us, like I say, it'll be a, a short break before our next episode. So hopefully, uh, people have uh, crammed this one in before uh, the big weekend. And yeah, we'll be back Sunday night to talk the uh, the G1 final final block days of, of the A and B block hopefully have a little bit of a catch up on AEW and uh, yeah Steph can rub it in about uh, about Jay White as well so yeah everyone look forward to that we'll be back Sunday night see you soon bye see you.